Like I could kill you. Tell me right now, are you actually a serial killer? Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> Welcome to Profession Session with Brody Vinson. We've got my guest, Amani Youssef here. Amani, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about the events leading up to what you do for a profession now, kind of your history um, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, um, some of the things that you went through kind of leading up to college, going through college and post-college. We're both around the same age, a couple of years outside of college now. And uh, I think you have a very unique and interesting story. So I wanted yeah. to kind of get into that. So let's start with uh, maybe in high school, kind of leading up to college, you know, like the events leading up to you going to UF, which is where you went and how that looked. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, oh, and real quick before we get going, we got a couple of Vegas bombs here. Let's oh go yeah, ahead. cheers. Cheers. You know I love Vegas bombs. Alrighty, so honestly, it's uh, not like a super interesting story throughout high school. I was just like any other uh, student. You know, I did all extracurricular activities. I was the captain of the soccer team. You know, I, I always knew I wanted to go to UF. So the goal was to be the best of the best in every category because when you apply to UF, everyone that's applying is also the best of the best of where they're coming from. So it's definitely really hard to kind of, you know, stand yourself out from there. Um, I was covered all throughout high school. So I'm Muslim for a lot of people who don't know. Um, and I used to be covered head to toe. Uh, I was covered up until the age of 22, So well before like high school ended or well after high school ended right yes actually all throughout college mm -hmm. so in high school I did everything I needed to do you know to kind of secure my place at the University of Florida and then you know I applied uh funny enough I actually got deferred <laughs> from UF so what is what does that entail it entails that they're gonna see whoever else accepts their like oh, okay like request. a waiting list yeah, okay. kind of like a, on a waiting list, okay. and um, I would not have it. And I, I've, I drove up to UF every single day for a week, and I sat in the admissions office, and I like refused to leave until I finally got to speak to the ombudsman, and I pled my case, and I was like, "Listen, like you know, my family came here with nothing, and this is all I've ever wanted to do with my life, and I want to be a doctor." and here are my grades, here are my transcripts, here's everything I have to offer to the table. And you guys would be silly not to take up, you know, having me as a student, like I'm going to do phenomenal things here. And, you know, at the time, I sounded, you know, a, a little bit full of myself, but you, you kind of have to be confident in your abilities. If you want to go to a place like UF, UF is the number one school in Florida, it's the number five school in the nation, you know, they want the best. So I went up there every day, uh, finally talked to the ombudsman. He went and spoke to the vice president of the University of Florida, and I got my acceptance the next day. That's awesome. Yeah. So you just stayed the course. You knew what you wanted, told him what you wanted, and it happened. It wouldn't take no. Yeah. Even a maybe wasn't good enough. I was like, nope, it has to be a for sure yes. And like, that's it. I'm not going anywhere else. That's awesome. So you get into UF. You're kind of ready to just attack college and do your thing. What was your major at that time? 
Uh, my major actually stayed the same all throughout. It was actually biology and cell science. So. So at that time when you were first getting into college, did you have an idea of what it was that you wanted to do? Oh, yes. I think I've always been a kind of person who just, you know, knew what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I always wanted to be successful. My parents came to the country when I was three years old. You know, the the cliche immigrant story, we came here with nothing, you know, worked our way up to having something, not everything. But I think it's my parents' job to have come here and, you know, given us the best opportunity. And I think it's my job to make sure that, you know, all their, the fruits of their labor don't, you know, perish. It's my job to make us have everything. And it's their job just to get us here, I think. So I I always wanted to be a doctor. I love the body. I love learning about why things work, how things happen. So I was actually pre-med coming into UF. I worked at Memorial Hospital in high school just to, you know, like I said, all the extracurriculars you could think of I was a part of. Um, I went ahead and I attended UF uh, my freshman year. I was like any other freshman, you know, trying to figure it out, getting through the days, partying all the time, for Work sure. Hard, play hard. Oh, yeah, and it's UF, you know. It's like the party school. You don't go to UF and just sit in your dorm all four years. That would be a very sad waste of $93,000. Absolutely. For sure. Um, so working hard, you're playing hard, you're a freshman. Doing the freshman thing. Yeah, doing the freshman thing. And then um, I was actually moving back and forth, not moving, working back and forth in Jacksonville. I used to work at Publix. I wanted to keep working there one day a month just to keep them kind of helping me out with my tuition a little bit. My parents didn't have the ability to pay for my tuition, unfortunately. So so Publix kick in a little bit? A tiny bit, not by much, only for like a semester because I couldn't work the 20 hours a month requirement in order to be eligible for it. Um, but I ended up, um, working at Publix and I was, uh, commuting back and forth to Jacksonville, working with my now boss, Phil, uh, working at a cell phone stand, selling cell phone cases right outside of Victoria's Secret at the St. John's Town Center. So just basically cold calling, but a million times worse. So this was the kind of the beginning of you just dipping your toes into sales. I don't know. I feel like I've always kind of done sales without really knowing. Uh, when I was like 11, I bought this like PSP. I know. I remember PSP. the PSP. Yeah. yeah. Way before their time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were, they're very like it was too underrated. Yeah. yeah. Very <laughs> underrated. Um, I bought a PSP from this kid in my like second grade class. I traded him like 16 Yu-Gi-Oh cards, like <laughs> crisp mint condition Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Okay. Uh, the best. The best. The best of the best. <laughs> and uh, what was it? It was uh, $20. And I saved up all week, made that money. I came to school. I sold, I sold cupcakes. So like. Nice. 99 cent mix, made it at home, $1 icing, $1 for like the the cupcake wrapping. Yeah. Came to school, sold them for a dollar each, made 20 bucks, bought his PSP, went to the flea market that weekend, begged my dad to go to the flea market and sold it to some guy and his kid for like 200 bucks. Huge profit. Yeah, I, I was that like 11 years old. Yeah, that was, yeah. I think I've always been doing sales, but not really aware that I was doing sales. So that was the first time that I really honed in on the fact that I was doing sales. And I basically had to, you know, just grab people, you know, from walking the mall and get them to come and buy this Amazon cell phone case that you could buy for five bucks on Amazon. You buy it for forty nine ninety nine for me. And Phil, he loved me and he offered me to pay for my gas to come back every weekend. Like I was I was selling like anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars worth of cases a day. Wow. Yeah, which is a ridiculous amount. The average was anywhere from like 200 to 500 per sales rep. And I was just like tripling his income. And he's like, listen, I'll pay you a commission and you'll make hourly. 
that was the first time I made commission. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I am making these people so much money and they want to pay me hourly? There's no flipping way. So you negotiated the commission? No, no, or? no. Like at Publix, they were paying me uh, hourly gotcha. in every other job. And I was thinking, oh my God, like I am being the best person I could possibly be for these people. Because come on, it's Publix, right? It's the Chick-fil-A of, uh, of supermarkets. Yeah. Right? It's my pleasure this, my pleasure that. We walk you to your car. High level service. Exactly. People who want to be there because they get treated correctly. But all in all, I was thinking, man, like, I'm working 20 hours at Publix and making this amount. I'm working five hours here and making triple what I'm making here. Why am I not doing this more? The so math just didn't work it out. Didn't, it didn't work out. So I quit Publix and started going back and forth. Um, all the while in Gainesville, a Monday through Friday job I had was I was selling, like, stock at this place called ANC Marketing. Oh, a little wow. shady. Yeah. little shady. I was, like, 18. Like some Jordan Belfort type it was. Yeah. It was just like that. <laughs> it was one big room, and there was, like, 30 desks, like, cheap desks, but, like, desks, non- like, the like half this Midtown. size. <laughs> the, the Wolf of Midtown. It was yeah. right across from Midtown as well. So um, they would actually come um, and have us in this huge room, and uh, everyone would have a headset, and there's, like, TVs playing. There's music. The TVs are muted. There's different movies going on, music. Everyone's like standing up, throwing balls around, having just talking, right? Yeah. And the people who we were talking to, they had to either have um, a net worth of above five million or to make one million per year. And we would just ask them about stock and stuff. And I would high roll the whole office. And then I kind of started thinking, well, I'm doing well in this sales and I'm doing well in this sales. Like maybe, maybe I'm just getting lucky. Okay. Maybe I'm just getting lucky. But um, eventually, what I thought was, I'm also making Phil this much money. Like, that money could be my money if I opened up my own thing. So then I got into thinking, okay, well, what if I opened up my own company, right? My dad owns his own company. I kind of see how it works. I'm like, you know, why don't I open up my own company at the University of Florida? And in Midtown, it's like a Midtown is right across the street from the university. So there's a university here. You go to your classes directly right across the street. You would be going to um, to Midtown and drinking and doing doing all the fun stuff you do. And in Midtown, there's a place called Pizza by the Slice, and then there is a place uh, called Relish. One sells pizza, one sells burgers. And I thought to myself, hmm, what do Americans love more than pizza and burgers? And I thought, hot dogs, baseball, the staple of our country. And I thought, you know what? Hot dogs. You're like, where's the dogs? Where are the dogs? Where are the wieners? Yeah. yeah. The, the question was always, where are the wieners? That was always like the question. <laughs> And so I tried to get some investors, right? So I started looking around for investors, but unfortunately, not a lot of, um, how do I put this elegantly? Uh, not a lot of middle-aged white men take an 18-year-old girl, 19-year-old girl seriously at the time. So all those investors fell through, and I had saved up from Phil's company about ten to 12000 in my savings, which isn't a lot of money, but for being 18, 19, it was, it was a lot of money. Something to start a business off of. Yeah. So uh, I went and I uh, I started my company and I did it quietly. So I didn't tell anyone about it. I was dating this guy at the time. Didn't tell him anything. I was going on these business meetings all the time. I think he thought I was cheating on him or something like that. I just business I'm, meetings. Yeah, <laughs> business meetings. We usually skip that part, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, uh, honestly, I'm just not a big fan of talking about things before you bring them into fruition. So there's, we've talked about this before because really? yeah, I, I think briefly. Um, because I remember you saying that about something. We did. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, 
Where, where do you think that perspective comes from? Because I actually differ in that a little bit. We did I, I talk about remember. how you differ from that. Yeah, and I, I don't know exactly what that is, but I feel like we differ in that way a little bit. How do you think that kind of works in your head? And, and how do you think that kind of drives you and, and reinforces what you're doing? Well, so my thing is, is I'm a big believer in, in not saying, not talking a whole lot about what you're about to do before you do it. So here's the thing. I'm super internal. Everybody thinks I'm an extrovert and I, I totally am, but I'm also an amnivert, right? So I'm both extro and intro. I'm very much in my head. There's always 600 things going on in my head and there's 600 plans, right? But I'm also a people pleaser, which plays into this concoction, right? So I'm a people pleaser. I like to be able to be like that person that you can go to that can get you whatever you want, be able to do whatever you want, you know, kind of situation. And when I go around and telling people, oh, I'm going to start a business, right? They're kind of already expecting great things. And then they give you that pat on the back like, hey, great job. You started a business. Hey, great job. You started going to the gym. But here's the deal. You get all these great jobs. And because I'm a people pleaser, it's like feeding my battery. Right. Right. So now I'm like, oh, I did such a great job. I did such a great job. But guess what? You haven't done shit yet. Mm -hmm. You don't fucking deserve the good job because you had an idea. Well, guess what? I have about 700 ideas a day. Uh, Someone who is not talented at all can also have 700 ideas a day. That doesn't mean you're going to act on it. Yeah. You can be a thinker, but I'm a doer. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a doer, I don't want to get all that like instant gratification. Right. Because the whole point of working on something like a company and, you know, you know, amplifying yourself, right, professionally, mm -hmm. it's all about doing it. And if I already feel like I got the recognition for doing it, then I'm not going to really work as hard to go and do it. And that's why so many people get caught up in talking to their friends and they're smoking every night with their boys. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to be this awesome guy. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're saying a lot, but like, are you going to do it? Yeah. Or are you just going to live off of the coattails of your fairy tale? Like, which one is that going to be? So that's really interesting because I also kind of identify myself as a, really a big people pleaser, but I do have kind of a different perspective of it. And I think it's interesting in that I think we our minds just kind of work differently in that way. When I kind of tell people about what I'm doing, in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm on the hook now. Like, if I don't live up to this, I'm going to look like an I have athlete. that to an extent. So it yeah. has to be something, like, very small because I also get, like, overwhelmed if right. I'm promising too much. Yeah. I don't like to promise too much. I'm I'm more of a um a, a big bang type of person. Like gotcha. I like to come in. You like to just, just drop it all at once. Drop it all at once. Yeah. And here it is. And it's there is ready and it's perfect. Like the big mic drop. Yeah, I'm I'm a big mic drop person. So that's yeah. what I was saying um back to the business. So I thought about it and keep in mind, listen, my dad barely speaks English. I was doing his tax doc tax documents when I was like nine years old. Talk so surprised about grooming yourself for entrepreneurship well you know not of choice i mean mm -hmm. all i feel like all people my age that came to the country around the same time like they were also doing all these things for their you know parents and it's it's funny because none of our parents are in jail so thank you irs yeah. <laughs> thank you for our irs for realizing oh, yeah. it was a nine-year-old doing this yeah. <laughs> it wasn't my dad i promise i think you if you get a good auditor and they're looking into things i think i'd be sitting at h and r block yeah. yeah with my dad like transcribing what the lady's yeah. saying i'm like dad like we're not going to jail yeah. <laughs> you don't know the irs money <laughs> 
So it was a it was a big thing. But um, as I started the company, you had to figure things out, right? Mm-hmm. So with food, you need your food license, you need permits, you need licensing, you need so many different things. And here's the thing: no one I knew was doing those things. Like I feel like I've always kind of been a person that kind of like set standards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so even with what I'm doing now, I feel like people my age won't even know about kind of what my line of business is until they're in their 30s and 40s and they're looking for someone to conduct that line of business. Because right? it's kind of a new thing. Well, because a people of our age group are not looking to buy homes and, you know, right. build a $60,000 patio. Right. They're looking to maybe get their first condo with their girlfriend or move in with their roommates or whatever the case may be. So I think it's just like gener- like like a whole generation ahead. Absolutely. Right? So when I was starting that company, I had to figure it all out. And honestly, no one wanted to tell me anything. And it was super stressful. And I had to like go around and just ask, ask questions. I would see people like our food trucks on the side of the road. And I would pull over and I'd be like writing in my notes, hey, how did you do this? Like, can you please talk to me for five minutes? And I would sit out there for like an hour because they would get a busy rush. And I would just sit there quietly and I would buy like a taco didn't even eat it, just buy it to buy it, Mm -hmm. sit there. And I'd be like, so how did you do it? And I speak five languages, so like they spoke Spanish and they were like telling me everything and I was thanking them. And I worked super, super diligently and super quietly, didn't tell anyone about it. After everything got approved and I signed my contract to be in Midtown actually, so I signed a contract with Campus Cuts. Okay. Yeah. So do they run like a lot of the licensing around Midtown? No, so Campus Cuts, believe it or not, before Midtown became Midtown, Mm -hmm. there's this guy named Chip. Okay. His dad owned Campus Cuts before him, and now he owns Campus Cuts. He's like 60. So you got to think. It's, it's, it's been, a while. been a while. The staple of Midtown mm-hmm. is not Campus Cuts, but they've had to build around him. So all of the gotcha. bars are around this one haircuttery place that will not move. Wow. Okay. And I talked to Chip. Chip is actually the largest Trump supporter you would ever meet, believe it or not. And I was a Muslim, this covered little Muslim girl mm-hmm. coming in there, Trump flags everywhere like trump galore Mm -hmm. and me and chip like became really good friends and you know he would ask me about my religion and i would you know like inform him because you know so many people just walk around without without wanting to ask a question or with the fear of asking Mm -hmm. you know the question and i kind of informed him and i think i was probably his first muslim friend ever you know um i signed the contract and one week before uh i actually had my grand opening i told some of my friends about it not all, just some. Mm-hmm. They came out to my grand opening the following week. And when I had my grand opening, um, I also told my boyfriend at the time, when I had my grand opening, all of a sudden all these like news stations were popping up. And it was like The Alligator, you know, which is Gainesville's predominant newspaper, um, WJCT or something like that. Just a bunch of them. And they were like video recording me. And I was like, What's like where did this come from? Why are why are they here? Like, did I do something? And they're like, Oh, we want to know all about your story. And it wasn't until that point in time that I realized how big in volume, like volumes, you know, mm-hmm. that this was. I was 19 years old, started a company by myself from scratch, like all of my money that I had in my savings, invested every single dollar short of two thousand dollars. I had two thousand dollars left in my savings account after that. Wow. Invested all in. All in, all in, you know, because I figured, you know what, if these if these gr- grown men aren't going to take me seriously, like I'm going to bet on myself. Like mm-hmm. I'm not waiting for you to invest in my company. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And I did that. And after you had the belief that you could do it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, and honestly, you know, I before I did, I didn't just walk in blind. Like I walked around the library and I took a survey. Like if there were hot dogs in Midtown, would you eat them? That's cool. What would you eat oh, on the hot dogs? Like I did my research, you know, maybe I wasn't a multi-million dollar company like Pepsi looking for what different 
multi-billion probably, mm-hmm. uh, looking for different kinds of flavors that people would like. But I was, I was in, I was in the trenches. I was in the yeah. weeds. I was asking the questions that need to be asked. I was grooming my business for what it needed to be. And um, two days after my grand opening that Monday, I was on the front page of the Alligator. I went to the local newsstand. I grabbed twenty <laughs> of these newspapers, yeah. and I'm st- like like a thief. I yeah. wasn't stealing them; they're free. They were free, guys. <laughs> um, but I st- like stole them. Ran to my car, drove all the way to Jacksonville. Didn't go to any classes that day. Like, didn't care. Went to Jacksonville. Went to my dad's shop because I actually gave him a lot of gratitude and that for being someone who taught me, you know, that you can come here with nothing and you can do everything from nothing. You have the tools. You don't need the money. The money makes it a lot easier, but you don't need it. And I went there, and my dad barely speaks English. And I went there, and he's like, like what is it's it? Monday. Like, what are, you, what are you doing here? Aren't you aren't you in class? And I'm like, read it. I give him the newspaper, and he just reads it, and it's on the front page. UF student opens up late night hot dog business. And he reads it, and he reads his name. And my dad's not an emotional guy, so he's all, like, getting teary-eyed. And he's like, gotta go fix some furniture <laughs> yeah. and like walks yeah. away so he works at a um or not works he owns a furniture uh place i was gonna get to that because i feel like we kind of breezed through that you said he had his own company it's yeah like a furniture store yeah it's called afg appliances it's uh right by the best bet on monument so when did he start that was, was that like when you were already born or was that yeah that was only like five or six years ago it was in like high school okay. or early college something like that um my dad had some trouble in like 2009 so when we came to the country my dad everyone did I feel yeah like yeah unfortunately that. well when we moved to the country um my dad owned his own company back in lebanon my mom used to be a professor for mathematics and french Unfortunately, her degree doesn't mean anything here, though. So. Is that one of your languages, French? No, 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 no. So Unfortunately, five languages, right? Yeah, five, five. So I would say four, realistically. Okay. But the fifth one, I'm I'm pretty pretty well in um, Arabic, English, Spanish, Farsi, and then uh, like Bosnian. I'm very good at holding conversation. I can talk for hours, but if you start talking politics, I might lose you in there. Right. But I actually went to Bosnia for a little while. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I, I was uh, pretty well versed in uh, in the culture in the area. We have a very similar culture. But my dad ended up uh, starting his own company. And uh, he's always kind of been like an entrepreneur himself. He didn't, I'm going to be honest with you, between you and I, I just don't think he likes taking direction from anyone else. But yep. <laughs> that's pretty much it. I can't say that it's because he has all these phenomenal ideas. It's because he's just uh, hard-headed. Yeah. And you know what? He wants to live and his life. I don't life think you have it. any of that yourself. No, none no, of it. Yeah, it's like it went right above <laughs> yeah. my head. Yeah, I didn't sit in in the ombudsman's office of UF for a week before yeah. he accepted me. I didn't no, do any no. of that. <laughs> um, but so I started the company, and I came to my parents, and I showed them the newspaper, and that's what I'm talking about. Mic drop. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell them a damn thing. They didn't know anything about what I was doing. They just knew I was being mysterious and I was not around and things of that nature. And then all of a sudden, I was um, coming to them, and I show them. My dad was like, "Who is this about?" And I'm like, "Amani Yusuf." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Like, like you?" you? Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah." And you know, he's like, I've "Gotta go fix the fridge." And he like walked away, and like seeing him, like you know, the dark tears out of his eyes, and he's just like, d- doesn't even make eye contact with me. My mom is bawling her eyes out, and that's when they found out. And then a week after I opened up the company, I posted it on Instagram. But it wasn't until, and that's what I mean, it wasn't until a week after. Like, I could have had that gratification. already a public Exactly. I could have had the gratification the six months, eight months that I was building this company. Didn't tell a soul. You know how hard it was to not tell my friends? Oh, I can't imagine. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? 
yeah, I don't know if I could do it. No, and I didn't tell anyone yeah. anything. It was a complete secret. And, you know, so the day off. how good did that, like, bike drop moment feel? It had to feel so good. Oh, my God. It was, like, the top ten. Okay, I believe there are, like. that's, like, months of months and months of work months. going into it. There are three things that I think are the best feelings in the world, right? Travel. Yep. Delayed gratification that you had to work for. Mm-hmm. And sex. Yeah. There's no three better things in this world, right? And working that hard and like seeing my dad like cry because my dad's never been a fan of like the my actions, not my actions, but he just he doesn't like that I play sports. He didn't like that I went to UF to play soccer. Hmm. You know, he's just he believes women should be a certain way, and I was the complete opposite. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I I was the complete opposite of what you know he kind of thought I was gonna be. It's kind of always had to swallow it because I was like always the the even when I was a little girl I was like very unapologetic I was like I'm gonna be who I am I'm gonna do what I need to do to succeed and like if that uh, you know upsets you then like you need to rethink it because why is me being you know great at soccer getting you know a, a um, money to go to college and play soccer why is that a bad thing these are all just tools and whatever tools I need to use to get to where I want to be here as long as it's not hurting anybody else or, you know, in any way perpetuating pain or any sort of discomfort to anyone else, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. So after I started it, you know, I posted on Instagram and it just like broke the internet and it was just this big mic drop moment. Um, another big mic drop moment was when I took off. Uh, yeah. Covering. I wanted to get to that. So that was, were you still in college or was that? Post-college? No, no. So it was actually after college. So I started the company in college, ran it for two and a half years, did really, really well. So I made back my initial investment in the first four months. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a blessing for Especially sure. Especially with a big investment like that. Like at yeah. the time for you, that was a huge investment. It was like all in. Like But people loved it. Like the, this yeah. little girl, this little 19-year-old girl who's an immigrant and this Muslim covered girl mm-hmm. slinging wieners. Yep. On the side of mid. I was <laughs> called the wiener it. girl, wiener <laughs> lady. And you know what? I think I'm the probably one of the first women who it's not an adult uh, adult television who is okay hey, with being called that. Make it history. Yeah. <laughs> one wiener at a time. Yeah. I mean, we even got sponsored but like you by like UF during like STD awareness month. Really? They gave us like a thousand great. condoms and you got one condom per hot dog that you would buy. So it was called uh, buy a wiener, save a wiener. <laughs> yeah. So I That's made up awesome. all those slogans and all that. Um, and for about two and a half years, it did really well. And I started catering to a lot of the um, apartment complexes there during move in week and move out week, uh, just because they all were on the same week. Because uh, basically, Gainesville is predominantly run based on UF's calendar. Yep. Yeah. So people moving in, people moving out, things of that nature. Big university town for sure. Only. Yeah. Only. Literally. Yeah. Um, and then when I graduated, I actually got a job doing medical sales. I was still covered at the time. Uh, doing medical sales, um, and then I sold my company the first week. Uh, I was doing medical sales. I got a bunch of lowball offers. I, you know, I posted it everywhere, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take anything less than what I think it's worth. I sold the trademarks, the rights, uh, the actual, you know, hot dog place uh, cart itself, everything to do with it, the logo, everything. Um, so let's get into that process a little bit because I'm actually going through selling a business right now, and it is so much more complicated it is like it's the more you dig into it the more try being like 20 and, and the, trying to sell yeah, 21 selling company like i had no fucking business. idea what i was doing yeah like i was coming so off very confident start, you kind of just started posting about it asking around well not necessarily so there's a lot of things you have to do a you have to make a pnl spreadsheet mm-hmm. so profit and loss spreadsheet 
so I had to dig up all of my QuickBooks and things of that nature and yeah. see what was going on with that. Um, so even first business, you were already using QuickBooks and stuff because you have oh, yeah. a background with working in tax from your dad's business. No, started. no background. I'm just talking about sitting in H&R Block with my dad and translating and helping wow. him do taxes, not even touching anything. So you had to figure out how to formalize all, all of it. Like, I had to figure out how to get a graphic designer, which thankfully someone, a lot of, you know, the best of the best go to UF. So there are a lot of people wanting to do graphic design. So the woman, her name is Alani. She actually owns her own workshop now in Gainesville. She worked for the workshop back when I owned my company and she helped me create the logos for my company and a few others. That's awesome. And now she owns that place, which is awesome. It's uh, it's definitely awesome watching other people succeed and grow. Um, had to make my own logo. had to figure out QuickBooks. Like I said, the licensing, going to the city. You have to go to the city and the state, getting your FEIN, making your LLC, doing all of that stuff. It was a shot in the dark. I had to, like I said, just ask fellow business owners. I would walk into businesses in mid that I knew were small businesses where the owners might be there, and I would sit there and just grill them. And I'm yeah. pretty sure they probably thought it was weird, but you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. So upon selling it, I started looking up like how people sell their companies mm-hmm. and what goes on. So you have to kind of compile like almost like a presentation, right? And the first being like a cover of like your uh, your business name and your logo kind of situation. Uh, once you do that, you kind of want to think about adding in um, a bunch of uh, stuff about like what the business is, where it is geographically, like a map, things of that nature. And then your P&L sheet, um, how much you're willing to sell the business for, what it comes with. All, it's almost like your resume, but for your company. Right. Just showing like where the value comes from and exactly. where it continue to stay in the company. Exactly. So that's uh, that's kind of uh, the situation you want to kind of be looking for with that. Um, another really big thing is you don't really want to, you know, just post things anywhere. You don't want to just post it on like the Jack's free and for sale page. You want to post it, you know, somewhere where it's going to matter. So in Gainesville, I was lucky enough to where, like we said, Gainesville is predominantly run around the university. So they had a bunch of university pages. And luckily, one of the fellow students uh, that went to UF, um, she was planning on starting her own business, and she took the reins, thankfully. So it was like my first week of doing medical sales, and I had to explain to my boss, who I've been working for for 72 hours, Mm -hmm. that I was going to have to take a day off in the middle of my training in Mobile, Alabama. Wow. And drive to back to uh, Gainesville for one day for two hours, sign off my business to someone else and come back. Wow. So I drove back all the way from Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. I remember it to this day. Drove like God knows how many hours. It was like eight hours. Got to be at least like, yeah, almost 10 probably. Yeah, almost 10 hours. Drove all the way there, met up with the girl, signed everything off, took the check, took it to the bank. So it was the first big check I had ever gotten, right? And I was like, wow, it's a lot of zeros. And, you know, it wasn't $100,000 or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but, you know, it was tens of thousands of dollars. And I was like, that's, uh, it was double what I initially invested in the company. Mm -hmm. So I was able to sell it um, definitely for a profit, especially after making a profit after four months of working it. Absolutely. Especially game days. Game days were insane. So you started at sophomore year. So you're about three years into the business at this about point? About two, two and a half. So two, we predominantly, so what's really important is the predominant thing that I sold wasn't just hot dogs. Mm-hmm. So there were special hot dogs and not like special hot dogs. I mean, special hot dogs. Mm-hmm. They were all beef hot dogs uh, with Stouffer's mac and cheese, a strip of bacon right off the grill, barbecue sauce drizzled on top, crumbled up potato chips barbecue usually that sounds insane and yum yum shrimp sauce on top 
Everyone loves Yum Yum. Oh, everyone loves Yum Yum. And you have that monster of a hot dog. I sold it for like $6.99 every day. Like, not every day. Fridays and Saturday nights. Mm -hmm. I worked eight hours a week. Paid off my tuition with all of that money. The majority of my tuition and have a little bit of loans left. But, I, mm -hmm. you know, we have to have fun, too, yeah, in college. Couldn't just pay bills, right? Yeah. Um, as a young entrepreneur, once I sold the company, I went to deposit the check. And the bank was like, hey, this is like more money than you've ever deposited. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can only give you 50% of it now and 50% in three days. And oh, I was wow. like, is this making it? Like, I <laughs> yeah. know it's not that much, but yeah. at the time, like, kind of felt it was like a, a lot. Exactly. It was a flex. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's All fine. Right. If you have to change the rules uh, for me, that's I'm fine. bringing in so you know, much no, money. I was bringing kajillions of dollars, you know, yeah. if you were wondering. So I sold the company and came back and started doing medical sales. Um, I did medical sales for like, I would say eight months to a year. And I was really nervous about it. It was medical supply sales. Um, and I was super nervous about it. But I actually joined one month after they started this um, competition. So the number one sales rep in the nation would win an all-inclusive trip to Miami with the VP uh, of sales at our company. And it would like every, it was the shebang, right? You'd yeah. be partying with them. And I was in a very much uh, unorthodox sales office where like every morning we'd be like banging on the tables, like just morning routine was insane. I'm noticing kind of a trend here of unorthodox sales office. Yeah, I'm a, I mean, Seems like you're kind of jig. I'm a, I'd say I'm a big fan of the gray area. Yeah. For sure. Nice. There's just nothing fun about uh, squiggling between the lines. Absolutely Sometimes not. Sometimes you got to be on the fucking line. Yeah. Right? You got to oh, be on the damn hey, thing. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. So um, went ahead and I uh, did that for a little bit. Um, I, like I said, I joined one month after we had started that competition and it ended three months later. So I actually ended up coming up on top. So everyone else, keep in mind, these are sales reps that have been selling for 20 years, mm -hmm. had been selling for one month before I even started. And when I started, I was training too. Mm -hmm. I blew them out of the water, not by like that much, you know, but definitely by a little bit, enough to win. And they announced like three months later that I was like the number one rep in the nation for those three months, which was a huge, huge deal. Like I've always been super incentivized by, you know, either bragging rights or a little bonus here and there, whatever the case may be. I just I, I was always competitive mm -hmm. and I won. And then I was like, wow, this is this is what it must feel like to be on top of the world. And then uh, my old boss, Phil, from the cell phone stand place, reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, he owns a couple companies, feels super, um, super worldly. Like he uh, used to uh, sell guitars to John Mayer. Him and John Mayer are really good friends. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's he's done a lot, right? So he was like a, a roadie for like quite some time. Um, he's owned multiple businesses. He owns so many properties. He's, he's, a, he's an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. I'm super blessed to be working underneath him and to be able to have him as my mentor for sure. Um, and he was like, Amani, you got to you got to come work for my company. And I was like, company? I was like, no, I do medical sales. I go into hospitals and doctor's offices all day. I am much too cool to be doing construction. And I just won this huge competition. And I just won this huge competition. Like, I think, I, no, I'm going to stay here. He's like, okay, okay, you're making a mistake. He comes and approaches me a couple months later. I'm like, same answer. A couple months later, his wife approaches me. She's like, come on, come on. You got to join the family. Come back home to the family. She's like, we worked so great together before. Like, we're going to do amazing things. Listen, you come here. We're just starting out. You get to be the project manager. You, It's, you know, end all, be all with you. We're the owners. 
I'm going to be operating, but you're going to be like the VP of operations. Okay. You're, you're going to say what goes. And I was 22 at the time. And I was like, man, that's, I don't know. And they're, and I was like, I'm, I'm making really good money right now. Yeah. They're like, whatever you're making, we'll double it. I'm like, everyone, everyone says that, you know, I'm like, Big all right, talk. well, I need to see the numbers. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, training for Phil because we got hit with COVID. I was still working for my medical supply company, but from home. So they fired like 80% of the office. Okay. Yeah. And they were paying us 40% of what our projected um, commission was, gotcha. what we had made over the last six months, 40% of that. And then 40% of our salary just to keep things afloat mm -hmm. because it was like the first month of COVID. Like no right. one really knew what was going on. Right. Yeah. Everything had shut down like Publix. It wasn't even open for a little bit. It was, it was insane. Right. Even gas stations were oh, closed. Yeah. There was nowhere to go. Um, and I was like, you know what, if I'm sitting at home and I sat home for about a week and I wanted to kill myself, you got was, real bored. I'm sure. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I was driving myself insane. I was yeah. like counting the ceiling tiles. What do you even do at home all day? I can't even, yeah. I could never even be a trophy wife. Like I, I can't, yeah. I can't, I would get so too bored. Boring, yeah. No, I'm a very like, I'm a very like. I would, some may call me intense. I would prefer to be called, uh, you know, like a high energy individual, yeah. something like that, right? Excitable. The gray area. Yeah. The gray area. So um, all, throughout that whole process, I was like, all right, I'm sitting at home. Phil's like, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm on it. Come train with me. I'll pay you for training. You don't even have to like, you don't sign anything. You're not even like 100% on board. I'm like, whatever, I'll come train. Started training with Phil and I'm like, holy crap, like this is a completely different world. I never thought I'd be doing construction. So actually the part we skipped right after um, college, I was taking my MCAT. So I was pre-med, I took my MCAT, I did medical sales just in order to stay in the medical field because I was like, all right, well I'm semi-good at sales. Okay, so the plan was always to get into like medical the medical school. into medical school after medical sales. Exactly. Gosh. So medical sales was just a buffer for a year, just so I could be doing something to do with medicine, but also not jump right back into it. Like UF is really intense. It's 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 very exhausting, and honestly, like I was just needing a break, right? Mm -hmm. Also, just from what I know about medical sales, seems like a great way to figure out what your niche is going to be, like to kind of hone in on exactly specialties and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, specialties because you're getting exposed to all these different kinds of areas of the medical field. Yeah, so you, no, you're for meeting sure. all kinds of different doctors, and you're seeing all different kinds of stuff. And luckily for me, I worked under Dr. Brandon Allen. Uh, he's the head of the adult ED in uh, UF and Chance. Mm -hmm. So when I was in college, there was actually a point in time where I was running my business volunteering at UF and Chance with Dr. Brandon Allen, um, which, by the way, I had to chase down. He was giving a seminar. Another common trend. Another common trend, it seems <laughs> like. He was doing a, um, a speech or some kind of like, I don't know, something with one of my after-school programs, right, clubs, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a club at UF, and he was speaking, and like right after, he was like, does anyone have any questions? And during, I actually asked a really, 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 really good question um, regarding, what was it? It was pulmonary, pulmonary embolisms. I asked him a really good question and I raised my hand and I asked it and he's like, who, who asked that? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I watch surgeries in my free time. And he's like, okay. Like I could see he was impressed. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, every single freaking kid there thought they were a shark. They thought they were going to walk up to him and, you know, pussyfoot around the situation. And they were like, oh, well. You know, do you think there's any sort of, uh, you know, place where I could shadow? And I stood and I waited for everybody to say their piece. 
He walked out the door. I walked out the door, sprinted. I follow him, like, Dr. Brandon Allen, Dr. Brandon Allen. Hi, my name's Imani. Like, da 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 da. He's like, I have to go to a meeting. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'll walk with you. He's like, ah, like, I- I'm really in a hurry. I'm like, oh, cool. I can walk fast. No, I'm like, hey, I have my Vespa outside. If you want to hop on the back, I'll take you there. He's <laughs> no like, way. he's like, I'm not hopping on the back of your scooter. I'm like, are, are you sure I parked it right there in the bushes? He's like, in the bushes? He's like, you can't park there. I'm like, had to get to your seminar. He's like, okay. And he's like, what? listen, what do you want? And I'm like, listen, I know everybody in there was pussyfooting around the situation. I want to shadow you. Okay. I want to shadow you. I think it's going to be a great opportunity. Here's all the things that I'm doing in my life. I started up my own company. Like I'm super, super into it. Like I am going to be not a regret. I'm not going to be a regret that you make. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a very good decision that you make. I'm going to help you in anything and everything. And please, 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 please let me shadow you. He's like, it's a good bitch. He's like, go talk to blah, 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 blah. And it was this woman who was this assistant's assistant's assistant, right? She had like no name. So he just threw you as far down the chain as he could. The, it, as far. Mm-hmm. I Googled this woman's name, couldn't find her. UF directory, <laughs> couldn't find her. I went to that building and I scaled every single floor until somebody recognized her name. And I went up to her and I was like, oh, I was sweating. It was six floors up. There was no elevator. I'm freaking sweating outside. I'm like, oh, I'm here because Dr. Brandon Allen sent me. And she's like, Sweetheart. And my well, Vespa's in a bush. I'm like, my Vespa's in a bush. I actually parked it behind the dumpster in a bush. I'm like, it's, it's, in, it's in a bush. I'm like, they got to talk to me. She's like, she was so surprised and she saw like my adamance and she's like, show up on Monday. I'll give you some paperwork. Let's start the process. Nice. And so I was shadowing Dr. Brandon Allen. I had a full schedule, including biochemistry and physics too, right? Not um, full class. 16 hour schedule, 16 credit hours. Um, so owned my company, 16 credit hours, all pre-med. Um, worked at the hospital as a scribe. Dr. Brandon Allen had me become a scribe and I shadowed every single one of his shifts, 7, a, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Is scribing note-taking? Note-taking, okay. yeah. That's what I thought. So I wanted to work in the hospital. I also wanted to have my shadowing experience. Mm-hmm. So I was, oh, and I was coming back to Jacksonville to do Phil's thing. Wow. So I was doing Phil's thing. I was shadowing. I was scribing. I was the full course schedule and I was also um, owning my own company. So, a lot of juggling. It was a lot. Yeah, I actually had like mm-hmm. maybe 700 panic attacks during that whole process, and I, I ended imagine. up quitting one or two of those things. But I kept that going for like five months, which was probably the most stressful part of my life yeah. in, in college. Um, but yeah, so when I graduated and I sold the company in my first week of medical sales, I kind of jumped into medical sales right after graduation. You know, did a lot of interviews while I was in college, graduated, moved back to Jacksonville, sold the company, and, you know, Phil had approached me about, you know, coming and just, training with him so i was like you know what if i'm sitting at home i'm not doing anything like why not train you know like why not figure out you know some extra money here and there and at first i wasn't going to take it seriously i showed up and i was like holy crap this is this is this is pretty cool like everything his wife designed with her bare hands came to life right and i was like wow this is great and they're first starting out and they're offering me all these things he's like listen you come in when you want, you leave when you want, you're making me money, you take whatever vacation you want, I don't care. And he knows the kind of person I am that I wouldn't mm-hmm. take advantage of that. And I was like, okay. First six months, I... But probably also knew that you would love to have that kind of freedom. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. He knew I had a trouble with uh, with lines. Yeah. <laughs> with lines in the sand. Yeah. So um, the first six months, I took it semi-seriously. I was like, yeah, it's like any other sales job. And I was dicking around you know, making sales and not really caring about like the the administrative side of it, right? I was just being uh, 
airheaded salesperson going in, wrecking sales, thinking I own the place. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I was really falling short on a lot of like, you know, measures to do with administration and actually being the boss, right? Like I can't, big time growth KPI type stuff. A hundred percent. So around six months, I decided I was like, well, if this company is my future. Um, so that's, I was still, so at that time. Still in the medical sales, right? Medical sales, but I had just finished my MCAT like a year before and I was interviewing at medical schools wow. while I was training with Phil. So that's a big fork in the road decision. Big fork on the road. I was doing my interviews and I'm six months into working with Phil and I'm making, you know what, he didn't lie. I am making double what I was making before and I was like, got to my interview and I remember sitting in my interview for a school in South Florida, a private school, and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna go into making no money for the next four years and then I'm gonna make 50K for three years and then I'm gonna make 70K for two years and I'm gonna make 80K for three more years before I hit hit 100K. Mm -hmm. And why, I wanna be a doctor. Nothing would make me happier than making that goal come true, uh, making that dream come true. But all in all, I was like, my MCAT's good for five years. My score's good for five years. I didn't do poorly on it. I did pretty well. And I have the grades to prove it, the backing to prove it, owning my own company, doing medical sales. Like, I'm gonna revisit this because my dream from the moment I can remember was not, making money it wasn't being a doctor it was buying my mom a house like since moving to america you know we were pretty poor growing up and you know we couldn't afford things and i remember my mom like saving so my dad would give her an allowance and he'd give us an allowance and my allowance was one dollar a day middle school high uh, middle school elementary school my mom got like whatever a month I remember my mom like scrummaging as much money as she could. She would never tell my dad we were short on like groceries and mm-hmm. stuff and didn't have enough money. She didn't want to make him feel bad because we didn't have any money. To be quite honest with you, we lived in a super shitty house and, you know, we we're living government housing for a while and we didn't have two pennies to scratch together, right? There were freaking rats in like our, our living room when I was like 10, right? Like yeah. just we lived in like a mobile home for a little while when we first moved to the States. And so my mom always dreamed of having this like house with like a little garden in the back. And like, that's always been like her dream. And my dad, you know, he's working as hard as he can, but the dream I see my mom having is not the dream that my dad can provide for her right now. So that was always my goal. And when I started, exactly. When I started making like that kind of money, um, it was just, um, sorry. When I got, when I started making that kind of money, I was like, my, I can buy my mom's house like in a year. And if this is all, like being a doctor is great, helping people is great, but that's my mom. Mm-hmm. That's my mommy. That's the woman that gave up everything. Right, moved dude. to the States, didn't know a lick of English, moved with her husband who didn't have any money at the time moving to the States, who borrowed money to move her here. And all that money she would get from my dad every couple months. I remember um, a time uh, when I was a kid, I was maybe, I don't know, uh, 11 or 12 and my mom had saved up for like three months, like every dollar that she could have. Um, she had these flip-flops that she wore every day. And they had like gotten to the point where like the flip-flops were talking. So they were like open in the middle and she kept mm-hmm. gluing them and they kept coming apart. And we go to the mall. It's Black Friday. It's like 7 a.m. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was at the Regency Mall. That's how poor mm-hmm. we were. Lived right there in the center of Arlington. It used to have its day. Not in Sin City, it didn't. <laughs> Not in Sin City, it didn't. <laughs> Um, but I remember she saved up every dollar and we went to the mall and she was looking at these shoes to buy herself. And it wasn't that my dad didn't want to buy things for her, it was that we couldn't afford it. 
you know, and you can't afford it, you can't afford it. Um, they afforded to put us in nice, you know, clothes for school and to have toys that other kids had and not to feel like we were left out. She was looking at this pair of shoes that she wanted and I um I um I I was looking at this toy with my little brother and it was like this spider that like suctioned to the wall and like, with the climb up. We were looking at it and she didn't buy the shoes. She bought this stupid ass spider that literally broke in two days for forty nine dollars. Wow. All the money this woman had saved up for months. All on a fucking spider because her kids wanted it and like this is the woman we're talking about like if this is the woman at hand like come on like you gotta like give that woman like whatever she wants so my dream was to always you know buy her her house and that's not really something that I've talked about with a lot of people it's not because of the whole gratification thing but that's my goal and that's when I made my decision I was like I'm gonna stick with this and I'm gonna take the opportunity Phil has offered me is so serious and I have to take it seriously. So six months in, I decided I was no longer going to go out during the weekdays. I was no longer going to drink during the weekdays. And I used to be a huge party animal because I came from UF. And for four years, I was away from my friends. And now all of a sudden, I'm with all my childhood friends. They all wanted to go out. And I was the only one with an apartment away from like her parents, you know? So my house was the spot. It was the pregame, postgame. All the games were there. And I stopped. I stopped going out. Stop drinking during the weekdays. I really, really, really started focusing. And I, when I started at the company, we had one team that built and not really a whole lot of like backbone, right? So we didn't really have like a contract and things of that nature. Today, we have six teams. We have a full pledged contract. Um, we make more now in a quarter than we did in a year, two and a half years ago. That's insane. Yeah. So it's a lot of just like I helped find us distributors. I helped sign contracts with magazines like the Home Mag. A lot of these magazines that are just predominantly in St. John, St. Augustine, Ponte Vedra. Like I've just helped with the help of Phil and Rafa, of course. I've helped cultivate this company to be something that was a family-owned business to being something that is making – I mean I'm making them millions of dollars a year, just me. Right. Awesome. And since then I, I, I got hired and I cleared house. I fired all the reps that were there. Um, not How in many a mean was way. That at the time, uh, I think like two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it wasn't wasn't big. And then me and Rafa, uh, the wife, started from scratch, and they've allowed me to have absolute control to hire who we hire, fire who we fire, and I've had to fire a couple of people that couldn't, you know, appreciate how big of an opportunity it is. Um, but I've hired and I've helped change a lot of lives, you know, like some of my best friends work for us and, uh, they went from, you know, working retail jobs and I really saw that they, you know, they could, they could be helped in the situation and I gave them an opportunity and you know what, they're some of my, my best reps because sometimes people just need an opportunity Mm because I didn't get a fucking opportunity and a lot of people in this world don't get an opportunity and you know what, at our company, that, that's what we believe in. We believe in opportunities, but also you know, being professional. And I feel like this opportunity with them has made me mature like eons in the last three years, right? Like predominantly I hang out with 50, 60 year olds for, well, let's say thirties to sixties, realistically, a lot of our client basis, they don't, they don't work or they own companies or whatever. You have to think the average patio is anywhere from 20 to 60 grand. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking about a pool. We're Mm -hmm. talking about a patio, right? Uh, built from built from brick, like we don't do any sort of subcontracting. I've hired a lot of our foremans in the field. Um, Lucas, uh, I helped hire. He's phenomenal. 
a great worker and like, you know, just learning how to like manage people. You can mm-hmm. be a great sales rep, but my my manager at my medical sales company said, Amani, you can be a great sales rep. You could be the best fucking sales rep. But if you can't duplicate yourself, you mean nothing to me as a as a manager, as an account manager. You're always just going to be limited if to you whatever your own ceiling is. Exactly. And if you can't replicate yourself and make other people, you have to be able to teach people how to do sales, whether they're quiet, shy, um, outgoing, uh, whatever the case may be. I have sales reps that are so shy. They don't speak to anyone when they leave. I have sales reps that sales reps that hop off buildings in their free time. That's fine. I don't, I, it's not that I don't care about that. It's that you have to use that to the best of your abilities. Like I have sales reps that try to be just like me and I tell them, listen, you can't sell like me because you have to sell like you. You have to find your niche, what you're good at, what makes you you and use that to propel sales. And back in medical sales, I thought it was all about finagling the client. Now, oh my God, I'm completely indifferent, which if my medical sales boss heard me say that Amani Yusuf is an indifferent salesperson, he would lose his freaking socket because that wasn't me at all. I was super not indifferent. You need to buy now and you want to buy now and you're going to buy from only me now. Every single I walk, every single time I walk into a consultation, I literally say, listen, I'm not going to be your cheapest estimate. So I'm going to go ahead and put that on the table. Uh, if that, you know, scares you guys or whatever the case may be, if you guys care about uh, value uh, instead of quality, you're going to want to find another company. First thing it makes I say, a statement. Yeah. And, and, and they know my work. Mm-hmm. And now it's gotten to the point where like Shearwater, Beacon Lake, uh, uh, Beach Walk, Cimarron, all the golf course communities, Sawgrass, all of those places, they have Facebook pages. And you know what? When you do good work, honest work, and you're transparent, and you're a fucking rock hard salesperson, you you get around. They post my name in that page like every week. I don't even see new clients anymore. The, the moms in Facebook groups of big neighborhoods love to Oh post. my God, they yeah. I actually just uh, <laughs> finished a job for Jeff and Audra Shaney and she has like a mom uh, like a mom page on mm-hmm. fa- on Instagram and Facebook. She has like 16,000 followers, which for a mom, that's yeah. basically Kim Kardashian right yeah. there. She posted like a clip of us doing the job the whole way. And honestly, Brody, it's amazing to see something that I designed with my bare hands on a CAD rendering, of course, CAD software. Uh, but I designed it, and then our guys make it come true. Like That's everything, great. everything down to the detail, right? So it's my job to manage the office, basically, you know, manage where our clients are coming from, what magazines we sign. We actually um, just uh, made a commercial not too long ago. So we were actually in the Bailey's gym playing oh, and nice. someone was sending me videos of our commercial. Oh, that's cool. And now we're this group of like 20 solid, solid people in this company. When I Coming walked in, it was like, three. Yeah. It was three people when that's I walked nuts. in. The owners and the sales rep, and that was, that was it, right? And in those two and a half years, I've really, really made it like a point, like an actual point that I live, breathe this company. But here's the thing. I work like 35 hours a week. You can work smart and not work hard. I'm not a believer in hard work at all. If I can do something the smart way, I'm going to do it that way. Absolutely. I'm not going to keep running into the same wall over and over again. If there's a door, I'm going to open it and I'm going to use it. Mm-hmm. Right? I love that. I think that's a great point because I I feel like so many people have the mindset that if you are not just absolutely running yourself into the ground, you're not doing it right. But you really can just find those alternate routes and change what's not working. Speaking of changing what's not working, 
I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with the duplicating yourself thing. Uh-huh. I want to really kind of like zoom in on that and, and go deep on that. Cause I think that's a really good point and it's very obviously more easily said than done. So how are some of the ways that you kind of got into figuring out how to duplicate yourself and what worked, what, what didn't work? So it was really hard because I was a really aggressive sales rep and um, I am a, a very intense person, as you could say, but I've really learned how to tone that down. So working for Phil has not just taught me how to be a better salesperson or whatever. It's actually not really done that. What it's really done is help me grow as a woman, right? So I used to carry myself as a little girl mm-hmm. and now I full and well, I every, every door I walk into, every room I walk into, I am a woman when I walk into that room. And I know that for a fact because of the way I act now. The way I carry myself before I would get like angry and upset and I would lash out. And like if someone was doing something that was wrong, right? Not just like not doing what I wanted. I wasn't like being a brat about it, but it was like, you know, they're not doing their job. And I know I'm right about them not doing their job. Like I would want to like, you know, say something. And now I've learned that nothing matters. Nothing. You know what? You're chill. I'm so chill. You know what? When clients, when big, bad, middle-aged men want to come up to me like, I'm not giving you a check because you met all of my expectations, but you're not over-exceeding and giving me free shit that I want. So no, I'm not going to give you a final payment. Before I used to be like, no, well, you signed a contract and did it. And I used to get into it with them, with these 60-year-old middle-aged men. And I don't know why I would do that. And I think it was, you know, my whole life having to fight for my place, especially being covered, right? Mm -hmm. I got attacked all the time when I was covered, uh, physically, uh, verbally, you know, whatever, mentally. Like, I was always attacked for being covered, got called a terrorist, Osama Osama bin Laden's daughter, like yada, yada, yada. No one ever really came up with anything cool. I got towelhead once, but... That was cooler than Osama's daughter, I guess. But um, so you had to learn how to have thick skin. Thick skin. So yeah. when I felt like someone was aggressing towards me, my immediate response was like aggress back, mm-hmm. go back. Like you're not like losing. You can't let this person like you know put you down. And then I got to the point where I was thinking, holy crap, hold on, um, I'm the project manager, and I don't have to yell with you. And I would never yell, but men don't like. When a woman half their age is speaking logically, immediately they would like gaslight me. They'd be like, are you arguing with a client right now? And I'd be like, no, we're just having a normal conversation. Like, oh, are you raising your voice? No, Chad, you're raising your voice at a woman who's half your age coming here just to collect final payment. And I got to the point where I was like, wait, why do I care so much? Like the owners are going to go get final payment. I don't need to show this guy that I am the project manager, right? That I am the boss, that I am the VP of operations. No. Now I'm like, oh, you don't want to pay? All right. You have a great day. I hope you enjoy the patio. Enjoy the rest of your day. That's it. And they're like, I've had the guys be like, well, you know what? I want a free fire pit. And I'm like, well, you didn't reach the square footage minimum. I can't give it to you for free. Well, I'm not going to pay you final payment. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, you're acting like you don't want to check at all today. And I'm like, well, I'm actually not going to take a check from you today. And they're like, so taken back. They're like, you're not going to take a check. I'm like, nope. I'm actually going to let the owners handle this. This is now above my pay grade, which I love saying, even though like the owners treat me as an equal partner. Mm-hmm. Like, it's above my pay grade. I'm going to leave. Because you know what? When Phil comes by, Phil is not intimidating, but he's a man. 
Mm-hmm. And he's a man in his 40s, and they respect men in their 40s. And when Phil comes around, all of a sudden, they're not yelling. They're not aggressive. They're, like, looking at the ground, like, fiddling with their fingers. And all of a sudden, they're paying final payment. So now I don't feel like I have to show somebody, like, who I am. Now I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, oh, I don't want to deal with a little girl. And I look at them, and I'm like, fucking dumbass. You signed this little girl sixty thousand dollars so you obviously believed in me at some point in time and now you're not getting what you want you want to throw a temper tantrum which is fine because some men never grow into being men some men are boys their whole lives and some women are girls their whole lives because if you can't carry yourself like a man it doesn't matter that you have a penis Mm -hmm. if you don't have like the like morals of a man you know like taking care of like your family and putting family first and things of that nature then in my eyes you're not a man and as a woman if you're not carrying yourself in that way as well you're not a woman you're just a girl which is fine, but you're not a woman, mm-hmm. right? You, you, in order to put those things under your belt, you need to have things under your belt to call yourself that. You can't call yourself a CEO of a random company you made up in your head, yeah. right? You could, but Doesn't let's, really let's be real, anything. right? So be, working with Phil has just taught me that like nothing is worth getting upset about. Why? Listen, okay, you're late to your flight. Oh my God, I'm freaking out. Fuck it. Fuck it. The flight, rerouting it, hundred extra dollars. You're freaking out about a hundred dollars. So now, when I'm about to freak out, I literally have a PL spreadsheet in my head. I'm like, okay, how much time is this going to take out of my day? Ten minutes, okay, ten minutes. And what? I'm arguing about fifty bucks. That's fifty dollars is not worth ten minutes of my time. It's not. I'm sorry. It's just not. I'm not being like over exaggerative. I'm not being cheeky, and I'm not being full of myself. It's 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 factually not worth my time. Mm-hmm. I love the mental PL idea it's just not worth my time to argue with you for what because you don't want to pay okay well we have lawyers like we'll put a lien on your house you don't want to pay because you didn't get something for free well i'm sorry that's not a part of the contract and you want me to shake hands and kiss babies and i can do that but you want me to like suck you off and you know be a little girl i'm not gonna do that i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna walk away and you're gonna have a great day and the owner's gonna come by and he's not gonna scare you at all he's just gonna say hey man da 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 are you going to pay or not? No. Okay, we're going to put a lien on your house. That's it. We're not stealing from you. Most contractors, I walk into people's houses and I'm immediately the bad guy, right? They think I'm going to steal their money. They're used to guys in a truck. They're not used to like actual professionalism. Like mm-hmm. our clients, when I come out and I measure your house, I'm the one who's measuring. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who makes your 3D rendering, which is too scale. It's like a Sims reality, right? It's like a CAD drawing. That's cool. I'm the one who makes your estimate. I'm the one who signs your contract with you. I'm the one who orders your material. And I'm the one out there every single day that the guys are building. And I am the one telling the guys what to do. So all the way through, I'm in charge from step one to step 600, whatever the case may be. And these people have rights. You know, you're spending 60K on a patio. You get what you want. Yeah, You're going get, to get what you want. But some people are just unreasonable and you have to learn that. And same way with like my sales reps. Like sometimes I want to get like so angry with them like, how have you been in the office for two hours and you got one thing done? And then I have to think to myself and I'm like, Amani, that's not how you deal with people, right? Because I got tough love growing up and mm-hmm. my dad and I was raised around all boys. So all my cousins are boys and my parents only let me hang out with boys growing up. So they would be like, you can't cry like that. Only pussies cry. Rub some dirt on it. Like, no, like you, you can't talk about your feelings. So I was very much like headstrong growing up, you know, like can't show weakness, can't show any of that, have to be like like just solid, right? And so I would expect that from other people and then I'm like, hold on, that's a little intense, right? So as someone's boss, you, you have to find out what drives them. 
And you have to come at them in a certain way. And the biggest thing I learned from Phil, other than things don't matter, and by things don't matter, I mean it will all be resolved. It'll all work out in the end. And you know what? If you're fucked, then you're fucked. Yeah. That's it. I got pulled over on my jet ski the other day, (laughs) and I was not wearing my life jacket. I had it on. I took it off for a second. Right. I took it off for a second. Literally, it was maybe not even five minutes. Of course. Yeah. They come up behind me and they're like, hey, what's going on? There's this guy, his name's Officer Mitchell. Shout out, Officer Mitchell. Um, asshole. <laughs> Has never smiled in his life. Doesn't have one wrinkle. Has never met joy in his entire life. Just solid, like, whole time, whole time, just <laughs> looking at me like I'm like I'm some alien. There are two other cops on, on board, and it's not FWC. It's the water sheriff. All right, so <laughs> I don't know what you guys know about, like, you know, jet skis and boats, but, like, you there are a lot of laws and they are allowed to come onto your vessel and search it and take anything with no warrants or anything like that. Wow. So they are the Kings of the water. Mm-hmm. They pull me and over. They carry themselves like it. I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> they're like, uh, like we call the HOAs, mm-hmm. uh, homeowners Associ- associations. We call them, uh, condo commanders. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that's what they are of the water. And he pulled me over and he the like, water wizards. Yeah. The water wizards. He's like, you're not wearing your life jacket, this and that. And honestly, I was a little toasted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, getting pulled over. And he's like, you don't have your life jacket on. You don't have a sound producing device, which is a whistle. You do, your your uh, fire extinguisher is rusted. You don't have this. He listed like 12 things I was, 11 or 12 things that I, I had done wrong. And I'm like, looking at him, looking at the other cops. I'm like, come on, Mitchell. Like, you're really going to give me a ticket for all that stuff. Like, it's a beautiful fucking day outside. You know, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a cute girl. I was just trying to get a tan. And he's looking at me like, bitch you're not fucking cute and i'm just sitting there and i'm just i'm i'm pulling his leg and he's not stopping like he's coming at me full force with yeah. every single ticket he's like where's your id you don't have your boater's license on you and i'm like hanging out there's some people that drive by in their boats and they're like oh there's a dolphin and i'm like yeah officer mitchell hates dolphins and sunshine and rainbows and really any happiness of any sort <laughs> and all like the two other officers are like now starting to crack a smile and i'm like yeah. okay i'm in like, I'm going to keep pulling this guy's leg. And honestly, like, I went way too far with some of the things I was saying. Way too far. Like, he wasn't even smiling. I was like, Officer Mitchell, if you're going to fuck me, at least smile at me while you're fucking me. And it got dead quiet. And I'm like, I am going to jail. I am going to jail. I am very charismatic when it comes to talking my way into things. There's not one thing, I believe, that I can't talk my way in and out of, right? Cue the sales, being, you know, being good at sales. And I'm like, they're like, oh, what are you doing afterwards? I'm like, oh, we're going to have a barbecue. Everyone's invited except Officer Mitchell. And I'm just like, like really going in on this guy. Finally, he cracks a smile and he's like, I'll give you a ticket for the live jacket and nothing else. Nice. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> but it, if this was me two years ago, I would have tried to cry my way out of it. I would have tried to beg and plead. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm sitting on a $20,000 jet ski that I bought cash myself mm-hmm. and I'm in Tampa for the weekend and I'm hanging out. You know what? If this guy wants to bump me with a thousand dollars worth of tickets, fuck him. Fuck him. I'm here. You already pulled me over. I'm, I'm not going to cry about it. So I just dicked around and eventually and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not held liable for any dicking around. If you guys get tickets, you get, you get tickets, yeah. but he let me go. And it's like, when you just realize that like, if you're fucked, you're fucked make the best out of it you're already fucked mm-hmm. just like do the best you can like i come out and it's raining and i'm like you know what fuck it it's raining i'll reschedule the projects we had today yeah and if someone wants to sign i will straight up tell them if you want to sign sign 
If you're not comfortable, don't sign. Yeah. Don't sign. That's it. And you know how, do you know what my closing rate is now? Tell me. When I started, uh, or actually let's do six months ago, uh, my closing rate was at 46%, which is pretty high. The national yeah. average is 20. National average for top sales reps is 30. I was at 46. Wow. And uh, since then, six months ago, I got really, really popular. So we were already really popular on these mom Facebook pages, but we got really, really, really popular. And I feel like it was me honing in on my skills. Like I feel like every six months, I'm seeing a new, a new, like a, a new, like a new layer, layer of myself. Yeah. yeah, like an onion. Thank you. And or I'm an like, ogre. <laughs> or that, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I'm just becoming like so evolved. And again, I'm not talking myself. It's just like you have to grow as a person. Yeah. And so many people are just so afraid of even just like admitting their faults. They don't even want to see their faults. They're like, yeah, I cheated on my girlfriend. I broke up, but fuck her. No, all right. Well, why'd you cheat? Oh, there's a hotter girl. No, nine times out of ten, it's an uglier girl. So what is it? It's something inside of you, buddy. Right. So what is it that we let's let's unpack? Get here. to the to the heart of it and figure out what it is. And most people don't want to do that. They scurry away immediately. The first chance they get to, you know, like actually call themselves out about anything, they don't want to do. They just want to like, you know, keep, you know, pretending like they don't have faults. And I'm a big believer in like, I will take my face and shove it in the fault. And not like downing myself, sometimes downing myself, I'm not going to lie, but also being like, Amani, why the fuck are you acting like that? Yeah. Okay, are you hurt? No. Are you mad? Okay, you're mad. Why are you mad? Mm -hmm. Well, because this is, no, 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 that's not a reason to be mad. That's someone else's actions. Why are you mad? And I get to the heart of it and then I'm like, I'm not even really mad. I'm really just hurt. And then I move forward that way, right? But I want to know where I'm falling short. I want to know. Every week that I meet with my sales reps, I have one big meeting a week. I will literally ask them, what can I do better for you guys? How am I falling short? Can I, and sometimes they'll be like, hey, you were just like a little intense this week. I didn't really like it. And I'm like, okay, okay. So with uh, with like, let's say Natalia, I have to be a little less um, aggressive. But with Emin, I'm a lot more aggressive because that's what he feeds off of, right? But it's so different. So since six months ago, my name not just the company, but like my name in specific is blown up over these pages, right? They'll name the company and they'll say, my designer was Amani. She did phenomenal, yada, yada, yada. It's blown up. Since then, I now basically am at, what was it? 84? 84% last month. Wow. Yeah. 84% closing rate. Just keeping it at a no bullshit situation. Listen, here's what I have to offer. This is construction. I can't make it pretty and I can't cotton candy it. All right, I can't cotton candy coat it. You need 700 bricks. I can charge you for 600. And then you're going to have to pay the piper. You, me, somebody is going to pay the piper. Because if you need 700 bricks, you need 700 bricks. This isn't like medical sales where I could like give them free shipping and make it. No. Here's all that I can do. Here are the numbers. Would you like to move forward? I don't even argue with them. Do you want to move forward? No. Okay, well, you want me to match a price. Let me see the price. No, we can't touch that. Do you want to move forward or not? After they move forward, and I don't say that, but like I leave it up to them. And I've had people about to sign a check and they'll literally go, and I'm like, are you feeling uneasy? And they're like, well, you know, we just don't think you. And I'm like, okay, I don't want the check. I've walked out on several closings and every single one closed them. Because I don't want you writing me a check if you're not sure about it. Because then you're going to be a boohoo crybaby about it later and be like, oh my God, I signed you 40 grand. And I didn't trick you. You called us. We don't do cold calling. 
You saw me mm-hmm. on the magazine. You saw us on uh, your local Facebook page, on your mom's Facebook page, whatever. You saw me somewhere and you called us. So the business works primarily off of like word of mouth referrals. Yes. And also like the commercials and the yeah. front of the magazines and stuff like that. But that's, cool. that's where all of our business comes from. So really all kind of inbound lead generation. Yeah. Basically, awesome. yeah, and I've I've uh, so a actually better way to be. yeah, me and the owners actually uh, we had a meeting on um, when was it? So we had a meeting on uh, when was it? January, and I actually uh, shot an idea of like why don't we make our clients work for us? So we are actually now holding a uh, a competition for all my clients, and the person who refers the most people that actually sign with us will win an all inclusive uh, trip to the Bahamas That's as a cruise. Cool. That's yeah, cool. kind See, of taking like, that idea from the me, from the uh, medical sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. actually, it's it literally exactly where I got it from. But you know, it's all about like growing, and every day at this company, I have to be the best I've ever been, mm-hmm. the best I was before. Because these clients are coming here to finagle you; they're not coming here like they want to finesse you. Well, they're smart people that are that have made a lot of money and made a lot of money, so they're they're smart and they know how to negotiate. Uh-huh. And not just negotiate, but some of them are not as honest as you would like for them to be. And You're going to find that, yeah. Yeah, you're going to find that really anywhere. So um, a lot of times, you know, it's them trying to tell the guys that we had a couple extra pallets we didn't have or whatever the case may be. And the guys, they work in the field. So if the client tells them something, they're going to be like, oh, my God, the, you know, the client, the client is who we're, you know, we're here to make happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, now that my closing rate is really high, I mean, you know, it's definitely doubled in the last six months, but I really think it's because I'm really, really working on myself. Like Mm -hmm. every single day, I don't get mad anymore. I started like meditating a little bit in the mornings and it's not to say that I'm meditating and now I'm all at peace or anything like that. But to be honest, yeah, it's helped. But to, to be honest, my meditating in the morning is just sitting there in the car driving and just thinking, okay, what all do I have to do today? What did I do yesterday? How did I, how did I carry myself yesterday? And I will at at the end of the day, every day replay in my head. Okay. How did today go? What could I have done better? Like, where did I fall short? And here's the thing about me is like, I think the one thing that sets me apart from a lot of people our age is I never make the same mistake twice. I'll get fucked once. Mm -hmm. You will not fuck me twice figuratively. Um, so if I make a mistake today where I'm five minutes late to a closing and that client was not an easy client and they were pissed that I was late, I could sit there and most people be like, well, the dog took too long to pee. You know what? My dog did take too long to pee, but is it the dog's fault? Can I blame the uncontrollables? You can only control the controllables. Apollo peeing and taking 10, 15 minutes to pee because he's a puppy, because he's a dog and he doesn't have a sense of time and management and stuff like that. That's not his fault. You know what I did do that morning? I sat on TikTok for 10 minutes. So then I honed yeah, down yeah. to it and I'm like, it was TikTok. And the next morning I will wake up. I will not go on TikTok. The first thing I'll do, I'll get up, I'll walk the dog and I'll head on my way to work. You know what I like about that whole kind of line of thinking is that no matter what, if you're, if you're kind of, what you're doing there is you're kind of blaming yourself for the things that happened and you can control what you do. Right. You can only control so the controllables. Can, it's the only thing you can control. You can always say, okay, I did this thing that had an influence in this outcome. So in the future, I will do that thing differently rather than blaming the external uncontrollables. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that is a huge thing because I used to blame other people. To be honest with you, I wasn't always like, you know, a, a put together human being. And I'm not saying I'm the most put together now. 
Um, I definitely have my flaws just like anybody else, but you know, every day I wake up and I look at those flaws and I think about how to make those not flaws. What do you attribute that shift to like from going from blaming other people to blaming yourself more and being a little bit more accountable for it? I would say it was, um, when I started my company, I had to be a little bit better about that. Uh, but the biggest deal was the fact that, um, when I started the company with Phil, when I started working here, it's just night and day, Brody. It's night and day, like having 30 people that I'm accountable for. And like what I say is law. If I go out there and I say, hey, we're stopping the project like this, that's what's happening. I had always known that I was meant to like, not meant, I was never meant to do anything. I'll scratch that. I always knew that I wanted to do bigger things. And I always knew that I was going to work harder and faster and stronger than the majority of people because I was not going to stop. Okay. If this is what I want, this is what I'm going to get. And I'm not going to stop the ombudsman at UF, you know, chip, the guy who I rented the space from, uh, Dr. Brandon Allen, you know, medical sales. I kind of did a similar thing there. Like I've just been very adamant my whole life and very confident in my abilities because I know that I'm not going to stop. The only thing that can make me fail is if I stop trying. So all in all, you know, not taking for no for an answer is, you know, a huge thing. But, you know, a lot of people think that all it takes to be successful is like being adamant and like, you know, really going for it. But it's not. You can't run around in circles every day. You can't just, you know, do the same fucking thing every day. That's what I learned to not do from my father. You know, my dad, he wants to do things his way and it's his way or the highway. And I used to be like that. I used to be like, you know what? It's my way or the highway and that's it. And now I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me figure out the best way. If you have a better idea than I do, I know like some people might think I come off like um, like cocky or whatever because I'm like confident and, you know, maybe I do come off a little cocky sometimes, you know, maybe that is one of my character traits, whatever. Um, it comes with being in sales, though. You kind of have to have that to an extent as long as you're not being a dick about it. Yeah, but also I feel like anytime I've been cocky, it's been about things like I actually did and mm-hmm. like I actually deserve to be cocky about. And believe it or not, I've done a lot more than I just like tell people like all of this that you have known now over the last hour of this podcast. Not many people know. So when they meet me, they think, oh, like she, you know, she's super confident and like, wow, like for what? And it's like when you really get to talk to me, you're like, oh, okay, for that. There's the resume. Like there's the fucking resume. I'm not coming in here acting like I'm hot shit and I own the place. No, I'm coming in here and I'm acting like exactly who I am. Um, A 24-year-old project manager making more money than anyone I know, traveling more than anyone I know. Last year, I took 20 true trips. The year before, I took 20. Like every two weeks. Every two weeks. Yep. That's exactly almost every 54 weeks in a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or 52 weeks in a year. A little bit more. Yeah. Um, the year before I took 20. And, you know, it's it's learning how to do it the best way. Like, especially Phil. That motherfucker Phil. Man, that guy has taught me so much about the world. And his wife has taught me how to carry myself as a woman. And, like, you don't need to be fucking cursing and, like, here I will, but like, you don't need to curse or like to act a certain way. Like sometimes you can be like just a little lady and like people, they respect you because you're, you know what you're bringing to the table. I don't need to be this loud mouth little, little girl. I can be a quiet, put together woman. Confident too. That's confident. And confidence is screamed from, you know, quiet, not really being quiet, but like stepping in when need to be. 
not just stepping in every five seconds, not just, you know, whatever the case is, you know, actually doing it when you need to. And Phil has just taught me like, there are so many ways to get what you want. And it doesn't always have to be like, hey, you, I want this, you're giving it to me. No, sometimes with my clients, I let them feel like they're the big man in the room. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like I'll have clients and they're a little older and like their wife will say something and I've literally watched a guy be like, I'm talking. And I'm like, wish yeah. I was not in this room right now because I would have fucking said something. I would have been like, why are you putting my your hand in my face in front of a designer? Like, I'm not your family or your brother. Your like, even it wouldn't be okay around anyone, but like, yeah. let alone, right? And then now it's like, all right, with men like that, I'm like, okay, you're the boss. Like, okay, okay, daddy. Like, you're the boss. What you say goes. And you know what? Now I have the sale. Because I don't need to make the sale as Amani, the the project manager. That's an end all be all. No, that's fine. You're you're the boss. You're the boss. Go ahead. You just need to make the sale. That's it. That's it. And Phil's Tommy, there are so many ways to get what you want. He's walked up to so many people that were like pissed at me, P- so pissed they don't want to pay final payment. And keep in mind, it's not because I didn't give them what I promised. It's because they want other things, right? Or we didn't cut their expectations, but their expectations are like, why didn't you build in the rain? And it's like, it's fucking raining. Like glue is not going to hold in the rain. Concrete does not, you know what I mean? It's uh, whatever. But Phil will go up there and even though he's the owner and he's the big boss and he'll go up there and be like, hey, how are you? Like whatever you need. He's so passive. And then like every time. And I'm like, wow, you could get a lot more with honey. And that's why, like, I think getting me to this point, huge deal was what I'm doing now. Huge deal. All the credit I have, I give it to Phil and Rafa Raposo, both of them. They've just taught me how to cultivate myself and to carry myself like a woman, not some child, not some angry little toddler throwing a temper tantrum. No, you carry yourself like a woman and you get what you need that way. And learning how to deal with people in a certain way and not getting angry and not getting pent up and just letting it go. Letting go is like the, I'm still learning how to let go, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Letting it go. Easy. Like, okay, fine. That person fucked me over. Like it is what it is. I don't need to get them back, whatever. Just call it a day. That client said something rude to me. Like I don't need to like come back on top. And again, a lot of growing is undoing of past growth. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot, actually. I've never heard it put that way. Every section of your life, you're in a different chapter of your life. What was it like having grown up, do it like being covered your whole life and then just deciding to switch all of a sudden? Because that's, I mean, especially as late as you said 22, right? 21, I believe. 21, especially as late as 21. I mean, that's, it's got to be a big choice one, but it's also got to be something that you were very conflicted about. I would imagine if, if you decided as late in your life as you did, what was the, what was the process of kind of leading up to that decision? Like, so honestly, you know, when I, when I decided to become covered, you know, my mom, uh, there's a lot of like miscommunication when it comes to, you know, communicating like cultural versus culture versus, religion right so there's a huge difference there's things that are cultural there are things that are actually inside of your religion that says you can't do this can't do that so within islam right so what your parents are supposed to do is they're they're supposed to sit you down once you become of age right so when you get your period for a woman and for a guy it's a little bit later on about 14 15 so they're supposed to sit you down and basically say hey like this is how we handle things 
So my mom did. So she was like, hey, this is what we do. Like, everyone is covered, obviously. Like, if you want to be covered as well, like, that would be great. We would really, you know, love for you to be that. But I'm not going to force you. It's your decision. And So you weren't previous to that then? No, no, no. Okay. I started when I was like 10 or 11. Gotcha. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I was about 10 or 11 when I started. And my mom was like, hey, if, you know, if you want to do it, like, you can. If not, like, I'm not going to force you. And my first question was... uh, wait, so I'm not going to have to do my hair ever again? And I was like, no, 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 Amani, like there's way more to it than that. Like, And I was like, sold. You're like, I'm sold. <laughs> sold. I was like, sold. I was a tomboy. I played sports my entire life. All of my cousins are boys. So uh, my cousins were like, uh, you know, soccer, football, basketball, like everything all the time. And so I was like, okay, well, like I'm never going to have to do my hair. Like you sold me. But keep in mind, like I was growing up and – Everyone around me was covered, right? So a lot of the people that my, fr- my my parents hung around were people that they knew, you know, that spoke the same language, had the same culture, things of that nature. It's hard moving to a new country with not knowing anyone. So we had our own like little group, you know, and everyone was covered. So to me, it was normal. And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I do this? this is what everyone else is doing. I was like never really super religious, but I wanted to make my parents happy. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And as I got older, I started getting picked on like in middle school. I like every other day I went to Arlington middle school my first year and it was like, oh my God, it was hell. It's I a got, tough age in general. Yeah. So you're telling you me. add that, it's got to be like an ex- a whole extra layer on top of what's already a difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like bullied every single day. I got into fist fights every other day and I was getting my ass whooped every <laughs> other day. Because I was scared. Like, I was I was scared if I fought back, we were going to get deported. Like, that was my fear. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to kick me out of school. We're going to have to go back to Lebanon. Oh, my God. I was freaking out. And uh, one day after getting my ass whooped, I came home suspended because I got my ass whooped naturally. Some girl had just come up to me and just literally rocked the shit out of me and called me a terrorist. Jeez. Like, in the middle of the cafeteria. And I just got – and I just folded up in a little ball and got my ass whooped, you know. Took the ass whooping and went home and my dad – Came home from work. It was weird. He came home from work early. And he comes home from work and he comes into my room and he's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, because I'm in trouble. And my dad's like, I'm going to tell you something right now. You go against my wishes every fucking day and you go play with boys outside all day every day. I see you fighting with your cousins. You're beating them up and they're bigger than you. You're telling me these little girls at school are beating your ass every day. Every week I come home and you have a black eye or you have something wrong with you. You're letting these girls beat your ass and you go outside every day and you play with boys? Are you fucking kidding me? And he's like, listen, I'm going to tell you this one time and one time only. The next time you come home after getting your ass whooped, you don't ever start a fight. But if someone hurts you and you come home again with your ass whooped and you didn't try, I'm going to be the next person to beat your ass. And I was like, like, I'm obviously like, I got, I got ass beatings when I was a kid. Come on. Like, you know, like I'm foreign, like. Now it's like child abuse, but like, you know, like it, it, it wasn't, you know, like to me it wasn't. It was, repr- you know, re- being reprimanded for things that you did incorrectly. I wasn't even an immigrant and I got it too. Yeah, that's, like everyone got it a little bit back then. You know what I mean? Exactly. Now everyone's so like PC and all that shit. But um, I went uh, the following week after my suspension and some girl called me a terrorist at the bus station. I didn't say anything. I got in the bus. I actually used to be a really quiet, kept to myself person. I was like very shy back then. And I was just sitting in the back of the bus and I was flipping through my little Yu-Gi-Oh cards and this girl came, she's calling me terrorist and she's like, we're going to fight you after school. And I was like, what? Why? And all day, like my stomach was bubbling and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get into a fight. I'm going to get into a fight. And like, Was it like a meet me at the park at six? It was meet there? me at the bus stop right after we got wow. dropped off. 
and I was freaking out and like they dropped me off. My mom was there and I didn't tell her anything and I was trying to walk away and the girl's like coming up to me, coming up to me and I was like, I wanna walk away, I wanna walk away. Finally, she like just swings. She swings, I duck, I come up, I punch her in the face. I'm on top of this girl and this black girl, so she was a white girl, the black girl comes up behind me and just like fucking rams me on the face. Just like, boom, knocks me off this girl, I get up. And I'm not like saying like some fucking like MMA fighter, but like for some reason I was able to like take these two girls like separately. I took the second. It sounds girl. like you had a lot of experience by then. Well, because I fought like with my cousins. Yeah. My cousins are boys, and our favorite thing to do is watch WWE. So it was like let's practice wrestling moves on. Yeah. Right, and it was it was all that kind of stuff. And my cousins were very much like, "You're not a girl. You're a boy. You cry. That's pussy." You show your feelings, that's pussy. You rub dirt in it. Like, that's how my cousins raised me. And they're all older than me. And we played football and soccer. And they never, ever let me get away with, like, the short run or, like, not getting hit as hard. One time I flinched during football. And my cousin, Brady, he made me sit in the middle of the fucking football field, a.k.a. this shitty-ass, barely-grassed field (laughs) that we tore up in the side of our, you know, Section 8 housing neighborhood. And he made me stand there and hold a football. And he had every single boy on the football team tackle me over and over again until I stopped flinching. Holy shit. So it was like, you know, from day one and I, and I fought these two girls and then the bus driver like called school, whatever. I got suspended. My, my dad came home early again. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get my ass. We're going to get deported. We're going to get deported. And uh, my, my parents were American citizens at the time. I didn't understand like that whole process just yet. And um, my dad came home and he took me for ice cream and he was like, you stand up for yourself when people try to hurt you. You never, ever lay the first hand, but you cannot keep letting these people, you come home every day crying. Like I used to go home every day, Brody. And I would cry and I'd be like, why does everyone hate me? Like, why do they hate me? Like I'm being nice. My mom would pack me three lunches and I would share all my lunch with all my classmates. Like I would get my lunch stolen from class. Like, like they would be so shitty towards me for no reason. I was just like this little girl who like kept quiet and kept to herself. And I just wanted to be friends with everybody. And like, it just wouldn't happen. Like Arlington was a very ghetto school and like they hated me and I didn't even do anything to be hated for just yet. You know, I wasn't even a fucking cocky asshole, you know, like that I became later on. Like, (laughs) no, I was just kept to myself and quiet I got fought every single day and growing up, you know, going to high school and being around people of my own culture, they'd be like, oh, you're going out and you're partying and you have it on. That's so disrespectful. And I'd be like, girl, you sucked every single one of my friend's dicks and you're Muslim too. Just because you don't wear the thing on your head doesn't mean it's called a scarf. It's just because you don't wear the scarf on your head doesn't mean we're any different. Like, at least I'm wearing it. I'm wearing it on my sleeve. And my parents know I'm at a party. My parents know I'm drinking. My parents know what I'm doing. Are they happy with it? No. But I've never been a person to, like, lie to my parents. I was always, like, up front. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And my parents would, you know, catch me in it. And I'd be like, listen, I get straight A's. What are you guys going to say to me? Like, I I get straight A's. And, of course, they'd yell and, hit like, sometimes hit me or whatever. Like, if it came down to, like, me skipping school or whatever the case may be. But, like... I got bullied so harshly and I had to get like thick skin. You, I, you could, I used to cry. I used to literally have lunch in the bathroom crying on a toilet seat because I got called the terrorist that day once. Like I would pray that I would go through one day where I wouldn't be called a terrorist. Cause you got to think this is 2006, 2007. Yeah. It's yeah. Like right 2008, right time. after 2001, right after 9-11, you know, it, it was not easy mm-hmm. and I had to get thick skin and then like I would play sports and it's weird because you got to think about the fact that I had to be covered from ankle to wrist, head to toe, basically. And I had to wear soccer shorts and I had to wear leggings under the soccer shorts. And I was always the sore thumb. 
So I feel like being covered really taught me that like, I had to be the sore thumb and I had to be okay with being the sore thumb. But also it was weird because every time I walked in a room, like everybody already assumed who I was supposed to be. She's gonna be this quiet, kept to herself girl. And then all of a sudden I'd come out like cursing and being loud and playing sports. And they'd be like, what a fucking juxtaposition that is. And I'm like, yeah, because I was tired of people telling me who, I, who they thought I was gonna be. And I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm not getting a bullied anymore. I'm not gonna cry in the bathroom stalls anymore. I'm gonna stand up for myself. And I started standing up for myself and I made more friends and I switched middle schools. I ended up going to Southside, which a lot more people of my culture, um, just Bosnians, Albanians, and you know, people who are understanding of it uh, were there. And um, you know, going into college, I wore it and people would tell me all the time, like girls would be like, oh, like, why don't you just take it off? And like, no one's gonna know. And like, we won't tell your parents. And I'd be like, no, like, if I'm gonna do it, like, I'm gonna do it because I wanna do it. Not because you're trying to like, talk me into doing it. No, I'm gonna do it because I wanna do it. Mm -hmm. So for a while, I like, was almost scared of the idea of thinking about taking it off because like, my mom like, really wanted me to wear it. And like, she's my best friend. And like, you know, my parents' friends would like, probably talk shit. And just like a lot of different things would like occur that I wasn't a fan of. So I didn't want to put my parents to that. And I kind of just like didn't really think about it. I got through college. I got all the way to the end of college to the point where I had started my company about to start medical sales. I did medical sales with it on. And then I really thought to myself one day and I'm like, damn, I have accomplished a lot. Like I've done everything I wanted to do. So when I was 18, it was my first semester in college and I decided that I was going to like go travel Europe alone. So I bought a ticket and I just went and I backpacked through Europe alone by myself. Um, and I took a few more trips like that and I still do that to today because I feel like, you know, when you travel alone, you can really immerse yourself in the culture instead of just bringing your friends and having a grand old American time in a foreign place, right? Um, so I went and did all these crazy things. I went skydiving. I traveled Europe. I started a company. I went to UF. I joined a sorority. You know, I went and I uh, went and uh, rushed rushed at UF and did Greek life. And then I dropped and everything that everyone said I couldn't do, play sports, play soccer, be good, actually be good at soccer. You know what I mean? All these things that people told me I couldn't do. Like I made varsity as a freshman when I was in high school. All these things people said I couldn't do, I did. And then I got bored and I was like, well, I've already done everything. And I was like, well, I love traveling and I love the beach. And I really started thinking to myself, like, although wearing it is amazing and I fully support it, I got a gun pulled in my head wearing it, specifically just for wearing it. And I was in, I was in um, the, I was in traffic and there was this guy in a white Tesla behind me who uh, was like honking, but it wasn't honking over and over again. It was one long honk and I thought something was wrong with him. I thought he was hurt. So I went and I grabbed my stethoscope and my like med kit inside my car and I went to my, to his car and I didn't have my gun. I, I have my concealed carry. I went to his car. This fucking guy pulls a gun to my head and he's like, you fucking terrorist. Get the fuck out of here. You're holding up traffic. And I'm like, dude, it's a red light. I can't go anywhere. He's like, you're a fucking bitch. And I turn around and he has a gun. Point blank. To my face. I'm standing at his mirror, his rear view mirror. He's in there, gun in my face. He's like, walk away right now or I'm going to blow your fucking brains out. And at that moment in time, I literally thought to myself and I'm like, I travel. I've traveled like a lot of the world. I go skydiving. I do these crazy things. And my mother is going to find out I got slaughtered on the side of Saint, the St. Saint John's Town Center uh, by some white supremacist who's 25 years old. And I was like, 
no way i i can't like literally that was running through my mind like the news like that would happen how would my, how my mom would find out that i got shot literally gun in my head i'm like is it a real gun is it not a real gun and i was like amani you can't you can't question that he's like get the fuck back in your car right now and i just look at him and i like have my stethoscope in my hand and i'm just like what's what's wrong with you man and he's like, you're a fucking terrorist. You need to get the fuck out of our country. Da, 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 da. He's going crazy. He's like, like racial slurs everywhere. He called me a sand. He's like, called were dis- disgusting things. And gun to my head. And I, he goes, go inside your car right now. And I just look at him and I just go, no. Like I literally thought to myself, I'm like, he's either going to shoot me in the back of the head like a dog, in 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 broad daylight, or sorry, in 8 p.m. summertime, or I'm going to get shot in the face like a fucking woman and I'm going to take it. I was like, no, I just said no. And he was like, are you fucking crazy? Get the fuck back in your car. Fucking bitch. He's going crazy. And I just look at him again. And now he's darting his eyes back from like the the light turned green to me, to the green light, to me. And I can tell he's making his decision. Now you're going to shoot me or you're not going to shoot me. And I just look at him again and I just go, no. And like, I just stood there and I was shitting bricks and I like, literally, there's no way you're surviving that. I'm standing at your rear view mirror. You have a gun outside of the window pointed at my face. You're not missing. Okay. You don't need to be a sharpshooter. You're not missing. You're getting me and you're getting me good. So I decided and I was like, you know what? No. And he looked at the light, looked at me, looked at the light and just swerved off and left. And I was so fucking angry that this guy had me feeling so vulnerable and like put me in that predicament. I got in my car. I had my gun. I followed him for 25 minutes, called the cops, got his like like uh, registration information from the back of his car. And they were like, you have to stop chasing him. You're crazy. I was like, I don't give a fuck. They're like, if you shoot him, you're at fault. He's now turned his back. Legally, you are now at fault. I go home. I have this whole thing and I tell my parents, I'm like, mom, dad, like, I can't keep living like this. You know, this is like a, a factor of safety. Like I'm going to these places and like I get called a terrorist and people at the register don't want to talk to me or they're afraid of me. And it's like, why? Why? I'm just a person. I'm not doing anything to harm you. I'm not dressed in all black. I used to wear very like neon colors and stuff and hot pink and blue and things. And that, you're like, you want to hurt me for no reason. And I was like, you know what? Like, Mom, dad, like something's got to change. And my parents weren't too happy about it at first. And I was telling them, I was like, listen, like now it's become a danger thing. And honestly, I was never super set in it. And I really did it to make you guys happy. And it didn't take one talk, took a few talks. But eventually, you know, my mom was on board. She was like, Amani, I want you to be happy. And like, I would never force you to do this, you know, to wear this. If it's becoming unsafe for you, I don't want that to happen. Keep in mind, we're having this conversation with six police cars outside of my parents' house after me... (laughs) having a gun pulled in my head um, right after college, right? So doing medical sales at the time. And I talked to them and then I talked to my dad a couple weeks later and we had another talk and another talk after that. And I didn't tell anyone about the decision. Again, mic drop. I finally decided to do it. But I didn't decide because girls were telling me, oh, you'd look so much hotter with it off. Or guys were like, oh, I wonder what you look like. Like everyone wondered what I looked like underneath. It was my little secret. Imagine going outside completely naked. Imagine actually showing up to your office or your favorite bar fully naked. All right, that's that's your penis. That's something, it's a private area of yours, right? You've hid that your whole life. Well, I hid everything my whole life. Not to mention I was a tomboy, so I never learned how to like do my hair and do things of that nature. And I was just like, the, the thought of even uncovering literally scared me to my core. Like to completely 
show everything, not being naked, but even my arms, like it was weird. The first time I walked outside and I didn't have it on and like this gust of wind went through my hair and I was like, oh my God, I can feel it through every single strand of my head. Like that's so weird. It felt like a Band-Aid that you had on your finger for three days and took it off. It was so sensitive. You gotta think my skin was not like used to the wind and the sun and I was just like, wow, that's weird. But I talked with my parents and I, like I said, I, I don't do things in secret unless it's, you know, bettering myself. I am full force. This is, it. this is who I am. What you see is what you get. You either like it or you don't. And you know what? If my worst characteristics are that I'm a little cocky sometimes and I'm a little loud mouth, but at least I'm not a bitch. Well, some people would differ, but at least I'm not a liar. At least I'm not a cheater. At least I would never backstab my friends. At least I don't talk shit. Like at least, at least these things, right? And I decided finally to uh, to take it off. And I spoke with my parents. I then spoke with my best friend Emin about it. And I cried to him. And I was like, "Man, I'm so scared. Like, what if I don't? What if I don't match up to these girls? Like, these girls have been uncovered their whole lives. They've been doing their hair since they were kids. I've never done my hair. I didn't even know what to do with it. Like, do, where do you part it? Like, do you put cream in it, gel in it? Like, what do you do? What do you wear? All of my outfits were all conservative. Like, how, how do you, well, semi-conservative. I still wore like tight jeans and stuff, but it's like, now I can wear shorts. Now I can wear tank tops, halter tops. Like, there's so many fucking tops that women wear. And I never cared to indulge myself in those things because I didn't care. Right, I didn't. I couldn't wear them, so why would I even worry about you know what I could, what even I worried about sports and you know making money and stuff. And all of a sudden, I had to like it was my choice to take it off. And when I finally decided and talked with my parents, I actually didn't even leave my house with it off. I posted a picture on Instagram, not not for clout. People would always joke, oh, if you ever posted a picture, like you, you know you'd go viral, like you'd break the internet all that stuff. It was simply because I was, I know so many people in Jacksonville and in Gainesville and being a loud mouth party girl who was also covered and owned a business and was in Greek life. You, you get remembered. Okay. It's very easy to spot a pink elephant in a room. And I was a goddamn pink elephant in the majority of my life. Right. So me even cultivating my identity came behind me being covered. And I started realizing that me being covered was just a security blanket for me because I didn't want to let people in. I didn't want to like, I wanted to be this lone wolf and like do all these things. And me being covered was the way I kept the world at bay and not to know who I really was. And I was scared. I was like, okay, what if I take it off? And I'm like ugly compared to other girls. Cause before I wasn't put on the scale that other girls got put on because you got to see their body and their hair. All you got to see was my face and my personality, which I thank God I was able to cultivate a sense of humor and a personality before I took it off. Cause when I took it off, I was so scared. I wouldn't be able to like match up. So I, I posted the picture, not because I was scared I wouldn't match up, but because I was so scared people would come up to me and like bombard me with questions, right? So like I posted it. I posted a very long explanation because I also didn't want people talking shit and being like, oh, she's doing it behind her parents' back. Like, no, 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 no. I did it the right way. Any shit talking, sh talk shit, but you're not gonna say I didn't do it the right way. I did it and I went balls deep into it and that's more than I can say about the majority of people, right? You wanna hide behind a computer screen? I'm doing it full force and I'm doing it with my life. That's scary. That's my image we're talking about. I posted a picture on Instagram, a long, a very long explanation because I was so scared people would come up to me like, tell me, tell me, tell me why, why, why? So I just posted it and I didn't leave the house for three weeks. My best friends, Emin and Summit came in and they're like, let's go, we're leaving. And I'm like, no, no, like I like it here. Like, Amani, you can't sit inside the house. Like your mom called us. 
my mom knows my best friend she's like my, your mom called us like you can't sit inside the house scared that people are gonna ask you questions like you took it off now you have to be a woman of your word live with your fucking decision go outside be asked questions we're not gonna let anyone harm you and i'm like okay okay we go to this hookah lounge trio and um i don't go there anymore but i used to go there and um i sat down at trio and no one fucking knew how i was no one had a damn idea and everyone walked right past me and finally this girl i know walks past me and just takes a double take and she's looking at me and i eventually realized what this stare meant later on after being covered because it took people about a year and a half to two years to know who i was what i looked like with it off right so i had this girl and she goes um amani and i'm like she's like oh my god it's amani and she's like oh my god your hair looks so good like when did you do it and i'm thinking in my head like oh my god girl like i posted it on instagram please don't ask me all these questions all of a sudden uh, like five other people noticed it was me and five other people and all of a sudden there were 14 people surrounding our table asking me questions and Emmons like oh like all right like leave her alone leave her. i was having like a panic attack imagine you're naked and everyone is seeing everything you have to offer everything that you've hid for so long and they're judging it and you're on gummy. You're on gummy. You're not talking raw card right now. You're talking naked and you're on gummy. You're flaccid and people are just staring at it. Okay. It's scary. And we left and I freaked out and I didn't leave the house for another week. And every time I would leave and I would go to the bars, I would go anywhere. People would be like, Amani. And it was like that for you. Can I touch your hair? Can, why did you take it off? Like, be honest with me. Like I saw the thing on Instagram, but be honest with me. And it's like, it is it's exactly what you saw on Instagram. I specifically posted it so I wouldn't get bombarded and attacked because I was sitting out there and that was the most insecure I had ever been in my life, just sitting there waiting for everyone to judge the big reveal. You got to think, for 22 years, I was this person. Well, the majority of that 22 years, I was that person. For the entire time of making my identity from the age of like 10 to 22, your most predominant years of making who you are, adult years, teenage years important years i was covered so now all of a sudden i had to learn how to be on the same scale as other women my body looks this that which i mean honestly still i don't really, like really care about that stuff like i don't wear makeup and i don't like i just don't care for things like that but to just have to like learn to to evolve into that and and ever since then it's honestly been like living my life but like in a different like it's it's so it's so funny to say it's like living my life but in in a different like character body like you play a game and you're one character like mortal Kombat. you're like sub-zero today you're someone else tomorrow right um and i'm just a, another character like people thought before that i was a, a a wolf among sheep because i looked different right and i acted differently than how they assumed but all of a sudden now i look just like you i look just like your sister your mom your girlfriend whoever I look like every other little white blonde girl to walk this earth. But what they don't know is now, now I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing because I, now I look like all of you, but I still see myself as that little covered girl. I still act like that and nothing about my personality has changed for the first year. I mean, heck, I'm going to be honest with you. Last week it happened. It's walking by a store window. And I'm like, what the fuck is that blonde girl staring at me like that? And I'm like, oh my God, that's me. Like I'm staring at me, but you have to think for 12 years, all I saw in the mirror was a covered girl that was looking right back at me. For the first six months, I'd be like, who's that? And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's me. That's, that's me. 
And now it's weird because now I'm a lot more sexualized. Before I was sexualized, don't get me wrong. Men don't just stop because you're covered. I got a lot of male attention before. But now it's like like overflowing male attention, you know? And it's weird to learn how to like digest that. Like I walk into a bar and like guys are grabbing at me, like physically grabbing me. And I'm like, why are you touching me? Like I, I hate being touched by random people in public. I just... Don't feel like you should approach a woman by grabbing her hand and yanking her to you. You should maybe, I don't know, like have a conversation before you get super rapey with her. Just my opinion. Um, but now it's a lot more male attention. And like I even had this uh, TikTok that went viral. Um, last year, actually, I went uh, snowboarding. So last year I fell in love with snowboarding. I went with, the, you know, for the first time and I fell in love with it. Because as an adult, you don't really get to play a lot of new sports, right? Or anything that's athletic it's really just drinking and doing things like drinking and kickball drinking and softball you know things of that nature and I'm, I was always super athletic so I got into snowboarding and it was so hard and I was like I love it and like my third or fourth time I'm out on the mountain making friends per usual in Colorado and it was my fifth it was my fourth time going that year because like I said I fell in love with it I fell in love with it and I get a bet they're like oh, I bet you won't go down with a bikini run like I bet you won't go down in your bikini and I was like oh, like what if I fall I'm gonna literally get snow burn i'm gonna yeah. burn my my cheeks right off <laughs> and they're like i being a pussy and i'm like all right unzip. that was like the magic that was it i was like yeah. you're a pussy i'm like i'm not a pussy Whatever. <laughs> yeah. fuck you i'm 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 that bitch i take it off i already had a bathing suit on because we would always go to the hot tub afterwards because your body is mangled after you know the mountain chewing you up and spitting you out and I take this uh, TikTok and I posted it on TikTok because I wanted to save the like audio that went behind it. But I had 41 followers. I was like, nobody's going to see this. I really wanted to post it on my Instagram. I guess Instagram clout, whatever you want to call it, to be quite honest with you. Little attention that I was getting used to. And it, and it, and it tasted a little nice. And I admit yeah. it. It was nice. Want a little more? And uh, I get off work and my this guy I was talking to at the time was like, oh, I guess I'm going to be dating some TikTok famous girl. And I'm like... <laughs> Hold on. First of all, dating. We're not dating. Uh, second of all, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're TikTok famous. I'm like, what are you talking about? Dude, I posted on Instagram. He's like, TikTok. Go on TikTok. There's like 600,000 views. I'm like, what? When did this happen? So while I was at work, it randomly just blew up. And it got out of control. It got to like 1.6 million views. I had all sorts of companies, uh, you know, branching out to actually sponsor me, which was so funny because all I did was take a video, right? And obviously, I'm a woman and I took it in a bikini, so it's about my body. All the while, I thought it was about my personality, so fortunately, it wasn't. Um, but I've always played sports, so I have a pretty athletic build to me. And uh, I actually even got sponsored by Burton. Uh, so I am a model for Burton Snowboards Now. Modeling is just something I do on the side. And like I said, the looks thing, I didn't have the... I mean, I guess you could always tell that I... like people would tell me I had like a pretty face mm -hmm. but like I was never like oh yeah I'm so hot because I never had like the hair just didn't identify with that no I identified with that like I'm funny and I'm really athletic and I'm like confident and all these things and then like boom I had hair and now I'm like realizing like I walk in the I walk and there's wind going through my hair and I'm like damn I'm a fucking bad bitch not even about my looks but I just feel like the wind through my hair and I'm like yeah I'm gonna like take on the day and I'm really realizing like how much of my identity my hair really is and I had no idea before. And now it's like this weird like power that I have with hair and it's like everyone assumes now they see me like, oh yeah, she's like some stuck up dumb blonde and I'm like, who's blonde? And then they're like, you're blonde. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, me, me. Because I would never, people always refer to me as the girl with the thing on her head. 
not the hot blonde. And I'm like, what hot blonde friend do you have? What are you talking about? They're like, you. And I'm like, oh, me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's cool. Whatever. And so um, the TikTok thing really blew up because obviously it went viral. So like, I don't know, thousands and thousands of people followed my Instagram because of it. And, you know, I now I'm a model for Burton Snowboards and a couple of other companies, some bigger, some smaller. I get paid to go on trips and like take videos of certain things. And it's not something that I want to make like my like idea of who I am. Because well, you I, like to travel anyway. So, I mean, it's a. Which is the only reason why I do it. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. It's the only reason I do it. And like the recognition is cool and all, but like you get the same recognition walking to a bar full of guys. And these are all men on the internet. Yeah. All right. Men who sit in their houses and a lot of them have girlfriends, unfortunately, and a lot of them have wives and they're in my DMs and please give me a chance and all these things. And it's like, you don't even know me. Like I could be a serial killer. Like I say that a lot to guys on the first date. Like if they like, like bring, like offered me, bring me back to their house. And I'm like, I could kill you. Tell me right now. Are you actually a serial killer? Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> no, but yeah. And like, you know, the TikTok thing went viral and it's like really helped me like kind of see like, you know, how much, like not how much of a woman I am, but like how far my like woman essence could go Mm -hmm. and you know it's definitely made a lot of things easier you know like things with men things of that nature but it's still not how i predominantly like that's not how i value myself like my looks Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's cool that you grew up not being taught to and not learning to be attached to that so that i mean don't get me wrong my mom was a very girly girl like she hated that i was a tomboy she wanted me to sit there and do my hair when i would come home because you can take it off when you come home you're only supposed to be covered in public where other men could see you that are not your family and um my mom hated that i was a tomboy and i was like nope like i love sports and i love soccer but you know what i'm i'm fucking smart because when i was a kid all these girls would make fun of me. And I remember in middle school and these girls were playing with their makeup thing and they're talking to me and I'm playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like, oh, you're such a tomboy. No one's ever going to love you. And I was like, boys don't care about makeup. Boys care about Yu-Gi-Oh cards and soccer. <laughs> and that was my response to her. And not wrong. My whole life I was like, okay, if I like, don't be wrong. I love men. Sure, do I hate them sometimes? Yeah. But men are like hot and strong and brawny. And I love, I love a man. Like I love a man who is able to be like a man to me because I know I have a lot to bring to the table and men that don't have as much to bring to the table come to the table as boys and not men. But men that have just as much to offer, if not more, they come to you with confidence. They are men, you know, they come like ready. Mm -hmm. I love men. I was like, if I love men, why the fuck would I be sitting there learning how to do makeup? (laughs) So I would like watch soccer, like everything. And now it's so funny because like men will bring me home to like their dads or like their friends and they'll be like, oh, this is Samani. And like, you know, their dads will talk about like shooting and stuff. I'm like, oh, I have a gun. And like I go hunting and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I go fishing. Play two hand touch. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go. And I know how to spiral a football and I know how to play soccer. And every time they bring me around their friends, they're like, this girl knows about more about sports than you do. And they're like, ah, she's fucking cool because, and I'm so fucking grateful that I had to cultivate my personality and my humor before I ever got a chance to touch my looks. It's like a trust. It's like a trust that your parents. That was an interesting way of looking at it. Like I didn't get to tap into it until I was 22. I had already formed who I predominantly Mm -hmm. who I was all those like money making years, AKA like, you know, you designing who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. The All of those years, yeah. Informative years. And that's kind of like what I wanted to wrap up with is like, I've always been so like disciplined with myself. Like I always partied. 
don't get me wrong. I always partied. I always went out. I always drank. I, I, I did it all. All right, I've been to music fest. I, I've traveled the world, done it all. But I've always been so disciplined with myself. Like, no, you're not going to party. You have shit to do. You get your shit done, then you go party. Like right now, I'm going to Vegas in two hours. Two hours. I'm going to go to the office after this. I'm going to knock out a couple calls. I'm going to make sure my clients are happy. I'm going to pick up a couple checks. And then I'm going to go to the airport and I'm going to go to Vegas and enjoy party. my weekend. And fucking party like my name is Jordan fucking Belfort. Yeah. And there's not a damn thing anyone can tell me about it. Because you know what? It's my money. It's my legacy. And it's my fucking name on the side of all of my clothing because it's me who brought myself up who earned the right to talk the way i talk and to act the way i act and no one can take it away from me and that's what a lot of women lack in these days they're so worried about like a guy like taking care of them or like oh if he breaks up with me like i won't get these gifts like fuck those gifts who gives a fuck go work any job you can buy yourself gifts like men bringing me gifts, that means nothing. Like, oh, I can fly you out. Cool. I went on 22 trips last year. Like, you can fly me out to my 23rd trip this year. That's fine. That's cool. But like, what do you have to offer? Can you be a partner? Can I trust you? Are we going to be like honest with one another? Like, those are the things I find that a lot of women are just like, kind of like hoping like that they don't just get a partner, but like also they're allowing men to just fall short on a lot of things. You know, in the 50s, like, women were supposed to, like, be in the house and be a housewife and all these things until World War II happened. And then women had to be, like, also working and also making the home. But, like, I don't think women realize how much, like, power they have. And I'm not, like, a feminist in any regard of the word. And I'm not, like, you know, it, but it's, like, you are the only one in charge of making yourself successful. This guy that you're crying about because he doesn't want you, like, okay, so the fuck what? He doesn't want you? cool you know what the majority of the guys that don't want you when you have a lot to bring to the table it's because they don't have anything to bring to the table and they can't even sit at the table because you know what the fee to sit at this table is having all these things accredited on your social resume right and they don't have those things so instead they try to belittle you they try to make you feel less and you know what women do the same thing to men i'm not saying women are any better but like the people in general that don't have a good handle on themselves. That yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Precisely. So my thing is, is like people are like, oh, she walks around like, you know, she fucking owns the place. Well, you know what? I do fucking own the place. I do own the place and I'm, I'm going to own the place and I'm going to continue owning the place. You know why? Because if you want to go check my resume and you want to act like, oh, I like, who is she? She's someone who came to the country. Her parents came to the country with nothing made something went to the number one university in in the in in florida number five in the united states started her own company at 19 with no help sold it for double what she initially invested into it did medical sales now i'm a project manager i was a project manager to a multi-million dollar construction company at 22 making more money than people would make in their 30s 40s yeah i i do have the right to to act even more than the way I do, but I don't because there's nothing I need to show. I could be on Instagram. That's another thing, the instant gratification thing, which is a topic we could probably share on another podcast. Um, we'll definitely have a follow-up. For sure. Like yeah. instant gratification, people of uh, humans of our generation, they love instant gratification, sleeping around, uh, showing off their like fake watch on Instagram. Like, look at my watch. Look at like what all these things. Like I have a $20,000 jet ski that I never barely ever post. The only time I post is if I'm like on it, having a good time, but I'm not like posting videos and pictures of it 24 seven. I have watches that cost more than some of the people's cars and I don't post that stuff. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. You see me. You see me traveling every other weekend. You see the car that I drive. 
You see the toys that I ride. You know what I bring to the table. I don't have to say anything more than that. You see my initials on my cuffs. You see my brand branded on me at any point in time. You know what I'm bringing to the table. Well, on that note, if you bring everything to the table, being your own boss, being self-made, and stay in your power, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Yeah. Amani, thanks so much for being here. This was yeah, thank you for having me. Conversation. No, this cool. was definitely an invigorating conversation. Absolutely. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And this has been Profession Session. My guest has been Amani Youssef, mm-hmm. a great guest. And we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Thanks for watching Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vincent. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, or TikTok at Profession Session on all channels. You can also find my guest from this episode at the tag and details of this post. Stay tuned for new episodes and short little clips of deep dives into specific topics across all of our channels. If you know a young standout professional business owner or entrepreneur with a unique or interesting story, DM us anywhere and let us know, and they may be the next to tell it here on Profession Session. Until next time, stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking. This has been Profession Session.